0: All right guys, this week we got a very special episode. We have Max ZT, the dulcimer player from House of Waters. I first saw these guys probably back in 2019. Side Hustle was doing an after party at 1904 Music Hall for a snarky puppy show at the Florida Theater. So before that, I went to go catch the show and I saw this band opening up this like jazz fusion-y kind of thing. But I noticed this dulcimer player and I mean, such an unconventional instrument for this kind of music. And I mean, so well performed and really not having a lot of a basis or foundation in, uh, in this kind of music to help, you know, for Max to kind of form his, uh, his ability around. So he's really kind of like this, this tastemaker trendsetter, you know, path maker, um, for this style of music with this instrument. So it's super exciting to see what these guys are doing. They had a bunch of new music coming out. They've worked with uh, Mike Stern and um, a bunch of other people on this new record that they're, do- that they're doing coming out soon uh, on the Ground Up label, all the snarky guys. This conversation was so fun, super insightful. Really just enjoyed his perspective on, on, on everything and uh, how he's been able to carve out his own path with this instrument. So um yeah i encourage you guys to check out everything he's doing with house of waters his solo stuff is really cool very meditative we get into some of the concept behind behind that as well so it was really cool so we'll go ahead and start the episode thank you guys again for tuning in um and enjoy All right, guys, this episode is brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you, or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So, at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, Not to mention, if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. Max, thank you so much for being with us today, man. We really appreciate it. That's a pleasure. Um, so, the la do you, is ZT short, is Max ZT, is it short, short for something or?
1: Yeah, it's a much longer uh, uh, name. My mother is Zbiril. My father is Teller. And so I'm Max Zbiril Teller. But com is a little hard to, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> send people to. So, a little Max ZT, a little
0: yeah, easier. I can definitely understand yeah. that. My last name is LaPlume. And though not as, uh, um probably difficult uh there's you'd be surprised of how often I have to sit there and spell it out for people uh yeah so I get I, I get it uh yeah, yeah. what is what is that what's your background
1: uh my mom is Czech um so she was born in Prague um uh, and dad is from the Bronx
0: okay cool <laughs> so uh interesting um did, have you like gone to visit uh Prague at all or like uh you know yeah spent time there Okay. Cool. Yes, yeah,
1: I, I spent time. Um, I mean, not a huge amount of time, but went with some family. Went with family a few times, um, and then uh, actually more recently, the last few trips have been uh, playing there, which has been really wonderful. Uh, there's also an earlier form of my instrument that is in the Czech Republic, uh, so that's like a nice little tie-in to the culture, and it's a it's a nice coming home.
0: That's actually pretty cool. I'm curious about all that. Before we do that, we talked a little bit about your background you're from chicago right yeah and then you when did you end up you're you're new york now when did you end up going to new york uh
1: well, i went to school uh upstate new york in the early part of this uh century uh, in 2002 and uh i guess during yeah i spent a lot of time in west africa uh w- while i was there and then also while i w- uh right after coming to new york so i moved to new york in 2006 but I kind of left pretty quickly um, to go to West Africa a bunch, and then I also spent a lot of time in India um, from 2009, I guess nine, uh, ten and eleven. Um, so although I've been in New York since uh, for almost I guess 15 years now, easily half of it has been uh, abroad. So uh, it's been a, an interesting, uh, you know, understanding about what is what is home, and uh, I'm using this as my base, but it's definitely
0: a a moving target. Right, right. That's a good way to put it. I'm I'm curious. Were, were you going to West Africa and traveling to India and stuff because of music, or was it yeah. just okay? So, for those who don't know, you play the dulcimer, which is a wildly untraditional or uh, not traditional but unconventional instrument, especially in the genre that, that you're that you're kind of existing in right now with House of Waters. How did you get involved with the dulcimer?
1: Sure. Um- so the 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 dulcimer is a the hammer dulcimer is um, is this large trapezoidal instrument with about a hundred strings, um, give or take, uh, and you hit it with these sticks. Uh, the the history of it is that it's uh, basically like a demechanized uh, and manual piano. On the piano, on the inside, you know, there's a soundboard with a whole bunch of strings, and then when you hit a key on the outside, hammers hit the string on the inside. So I have the hammers and do it all manually. Um, originally, instrument is likely Persian. But there are about 15 different styles uh, around the world, uh, including one from uh, the Czech Republic, and then also including one from India. Uh, so we can talk more about that in a little bit. But I, uh, I, in the United States, it's mostly used for American folk music and Celtic music, right. which was my background. Um, you can see it at Renaissance fairs. You can see it at the Irish stuff. You can see it at um, you know, Scottish jam sessions, Northumbrian stuff. Um, and then a whole lot of uh, American folk, old-timey. Uh, some in bluegrass, um, but a lot more probably in old-timey uh, music. You'll see it, uh, and that was, that was my background for a long, long period of time before I got uh, interested in music like Zeppelin, like we we're talking about earlier, and Hendrix, and uh, and other uh, you know product of the '90s. A lot of uh, a lot of music from the '90s, kind of outside of the dulcimer, really got into you know who I was as a teenager, uh, and then going to college, you know, changed everything.
0: Yeah, I, I want to d- dive into your influences as a teenager, because I mean, it sounds like you and I have a lot of the same influences. We were talking earlier, Hendrix and Zeppelin and a lot of the nineties grunge stuff. I mean, for me, it makes sense. I'm a guitar player. So that's like, kind of like naturally where you start with a lot of things. How did you kind of, um, yeah. were you playing dulcimer already by that point? And if so, how did you kind of stay inspired to stick with that instrument, given your influences of that, of that time?
1: That's a good uh question. Um uh, short answer is I probably didn't actually. Um okay. I you know, when I started when I was seven. Um so I've been playing like all like for ten years, you know, uh until going to college, eleven years or so. Uh, and then the last few of those years, you know, I was still doing the instrument, but uh my musical influences were were changing. And I was having trouble translating it, um, to be you know, to be honest. So even by the time I got to college, it was like, yeah, this is what I do. Uh, it's uh, I love it. Um, but for me at that time, I mean, I was still I was quite young. I saw like a uh, a ceiling. I saw like, okay, i can't I can't get past this. And um, really, what changed all of that uh, was uh, my my time spent in Senegal. And that really was when I was like, oh wow, actually, this this instrument can be played completely differently. You can play different ha- one hand doing one thing, one hand doing another. As independent instruments, it can sound orchestral. It can sound like four harps going on at the same time. The resonance is insane. So let's completely reinvent my uh, my style. because but before that, it was literally almost exclusively folk and Celtic and occasional like trying to write some stuff in the kind of rocky world that like probably didn't work so well. <laughs> right. uh, you know, looking back on it. Uh, nothing um nothing I've released, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> that music is right. it's gone it's pre-internet it is gone
0: oh man. Uh, well, how lucky you, you are <laughs>
1: yeah i know uh every time i see kids like putting out stuff i'm like and they i know now that there's now i'm getting older i know people that have been kind of grown up in the in the digital age and they're like everything's online i can't do anything it's all there everything for yeah. my six-year-old piano recital it's here now you know so <laughs> thankfully all that stuff is gone uh you know my parents were avid documenters, uh but Thankfully, they haven't put it all online
0: yet. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but
1: really, it was it was hard, you know, and it did. Uh, it made me question a lot about like whether I was going to continue with the instrument. I can imagine, uh, yeah. And it might have just been an age thing and a maturity, like musical maturity thing. Uh, but uh, it was definitely exposure at, at minimum. You know, I just didn't. I didn't have the exposure to figure out how to translate
0: it. Right. Yeah. That that makes total sense. And you know, for me. And I think a lot of musicians of that age, kind of what keeps you inspired and wanting to go is like having those those direct influences. Like, well, if I'm a guitar player, this is who I love. And here's a million examples of of not just success, but like wildly talented people that you can try and emulate, you know. And so were you playing a lot in your high school years or were you kind of just taking a back seat and just kind of hanging out with friends and stuff?
1: I was, I was still playing uh, quite a bit. My first uh, record I put out uh, in 99 when I guess was a sophomore or something uh, in high school. Um, but that's all folk, traditional Celtic music. Um, and, you know, then I started playing with uh, bass players and drum set players and guitarists and people outside of my, my standard field. But it was very, uh, you know amateurish honestly my at least my approach to how to uh, incorporate it into this non-irish sound but still playing quite a bit of the irish stuff and then just kind of in the back of my mind being like what am i gonna do you know like
0: yeah it <laughs> was it was a, it was a funny moment well i i think know? it's i think it's on some level it's had to kind of help your creativity i would imagine right because you really had no basis, or if you did, there, there are not, not very many examples of how to utilize the instrument in more traditional Western music, or not traditional Western music, but modern Western music. So do you, think, Absolutely. do you think that like having to kind of figure out what your place was as a dulcimer player in this modern Western world added to your ability to kind of create and, and just be creative in general in that space?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, there were people that I could definitely draw from, uh, but they weren't that many because it's a rare instrument, no in matter where it's uh, found in the in the world. And also, like I'm mentioning, the time period. This was 99, 2098, or before. There was no internet, right? You know, like uh, there was very few ways for me to even know about it, let alone get inspired by it. Uh, so it it did, you know allow for opportunity uh to create something completely unique and like you know uh, kind of set like a new trend for the instrument um uh, but it's it's i talk about i i i i'm challenged by this as well because i'm in many ways envious of of guitar players or bassists or drummers or horn players people that can be like god i need to i want to grow here's a thousand people i could look to uh and then when i talk to them about that they're like yeah but you know, you can make something new. And so it's like, this is a balance, you know, that, uh, that I, you know, I'm always thinking about, like, I'm, I'm grateful for the, uh, opportunity to, uh, invent, to have the, you know, to invent and not have a lot of, uh, you know, kind of overlap with other, with other artists. Uh, but it's slower.
0: Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> it takes I mean, more time. Totally, man. I mean, you're, you're carving out a new space, for this instrument and there's really no, or not much of a, of a, of a path already drawn out for you. So, yeah. uh, you know, just naturally like trying to figure out like the path to navigate and that just, you know, takes more time. So, um, but I think that that's, yeah. <laughs> you've been experiencing, you know, a level of success. I think that even uh, most musicians will never get to experience. So just in that alone, you know, that's such a huge win for for you as a as a as a as a person and as a musician, but for also the 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 instrument itself the know? instrument, yeah
1: yeah, it doesn't feel you know like
0: oh I every know. time you
1: you know every time you succeed or whatever you know your your what you view as your goal constantly changes you know as, yeah. as closer you get to it
0: totally um, and that's and that's such a fair um analysis and it's something that we all go through because and as somebody who's you know a few steps behind you as far as where i'd like to be in my music career most people will never be able to write a record much less record it and put it out for the world to enjoy you've done several of them with house of waters and then i think you have two out now under your own name two under my own name um one really fully solo that just came out recently. And and that's that those are alone are just wins to count, whether or not, you know, which they have seen I looked at the numbers on, on Spotify, they have seen some some pretty solid numbers, but even even if they don't, just that process is is a reward in itself, you know, I think anyways.
1: Yeah. I mean it is uh I, I'm I'm grateful that this that, you know, this is an unusual job. And uh and when I talk to people that saying, oh yeah, I don't. This is all I do. You know, I spend all my time on this. They're like, oh, it's amazing. that's so awesome that you can do that, and it's supporting you in this way. Um, but you know, like we all what we were talking about, we don't notice it while it's happening. Right. And so I've actually, it's a lot of, uh, it's really nice uh, philosophical kind of lessons that happen when we kind of recognize. Well, wait a minute. If I, if my goals are constantly changing, once I kind of get close to achieving them, if not achieving them outright. Maybe that's, I'm always going to be in this level of like dissatisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine, actually. So let's remove that. That's our baseline. Now we know that. So now we can just remove the judgment on that because it's just a matter of fact. And now, okay, now we can just be open. And uh, that's, that's the goal. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to right now.
0: Yeah, man, totally. I I I 100% feel that. I was talking to somebody. I mentioned that I was in New York a few months back, and I met somebody at a bar. It was a musician as well, and um, you know, we were just kind of talking back and forth about the same thing: success and what it means. And you know, I've ha- I've been lucky to have a lot of mentors in my life, uh, musically and otherwise. And the one thing that you know has kind of been instilled in me that i try it's it nearly impossible right when we're in our own heads but i try to like just th- take a step back sometimes and be like hey you've done x y and z like we know that this isn't where you want to be but you have to grant yourself those little wins because that's the fuel that keeps you going because it only gets harder right like the more success that you get like you know okay well it's like cool like maybe there's label support or there's other, you know, there, or you have a fan base now, but now the expectations are higher. So, and, there, and there's more, there's more interests involved and you're the person at the end of the day that has to, that's to satisfy those interests and it becomes more responsibility. And so it gets harder. It just gets harder. So I think you have to grant yourself those little wins, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh. Get, it does get harder, you know. I, I'll talk to friends, like, "Oh, yeah, but you had a label, you got management, you got the PR people coming on board, and this, 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 this." It's like, "Yeah, now I have more bosses, yeah. basically. <laughs> right. You know, I have more people that I have to like, uh, you know, uh, get have deadlines for. If it was just me, then I, you know, I don't know, I will just take my time, uh, which would probably be worse, right?
0: You have deadlines,
1: <laughs> but uh, it's it's just funny how." you know, we, we perceive these certain things and recognize in the end after once you get there as well, that's like, well, actually it's constantly hard. It's always hard. It just gets harder. And that's what it is. Yeah. Remove that, remove that judgment, you know, remove the ego behind it and just, uh, try to be as present as possible and, and comfortable, you know, and that's once, and that's honestly, that's also the, the nice little, uh, byproduct of, you know, successful musicians is and amazing artists that we all, uh, uh, you know, appreciate and love th- these people weren't, you know, they, all they were trying to do was just be in that present state, right. you know? And, uh, that's, I think if we can remove all this other stuff that kind of gets in our way, you know, all the fear, all the doubt, all of the, uh, I'm not good enough, you know, um, just these little funny little feelings that, that take over, uh, or our roadblocks rather, you know, um, then I think we're going to be in a, a lot better uh, like mental state uh, personally. And then also like your art will just soar.
0: Yeah, totally, man. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I, I want to go to your kind of first iterations of bands that you were in, um, it, because I'm genuinely curious about what the reception was to a band With a dulcimer player in it, especially in the kind of genres that you've explored, you know? The reception within musicians was always super welcoming. Of course, yeah. Um,
1: And super warm and curious and excited and interested, you know, because that's the people... I mean, I'm sure there were, you know, other musicians that would not have had that approach, but uh, the people that I happened to find were all like this uh, because they were open-minded musicians, you know? So that's this was like, oh, what a... What dulcimer? All right, let's. How does that work? Wow, this is crazy. You know, um, I will say that I won't name any specific venues, but I could.
0: Yeah, uh, sure.
1: You know, uh, that we're like this isn't this music doesn't belong here because we're this. You know, this one thing we're jazz or whatever, and so that's not jazz. That you're a folk instrument, right? Uh, that that was pretty common and next step to that or, or, you know, in close proximity to that was we don't know what to do with this. Right. And I think with the, you know, the explosion of, of the internet, it's really, that's changed quite a lot. And that's kind of gone somewhat hand in hand with, uh, you know, the, the, the songwriting and the successes that the, so either myself as a musician or my group has had. Um, so it's possible that this is just a product of the times that, you know, yeah, this is the step response would change now that we have those decent Spotify numbers, but um, I also think it's just the exposure, you know, and people recognizing, like we were talking about before with the genre, it's all it's all coming together, you know, uh, for better or for worse, it's happening, and so to have a closed mind uh, or a, a restricted mind, well, it's just not you're not going to survive the industry. Uh, anymore you know it's also antithetical to what jazz or these types of musics are uh, where it's completely about being open totally but uh yeah it has it it, in the beginning there was some i just had to roll my eyes uh moments plenty of that just be like all right you know you don't get it it's okay
0: yeah well that's and that's frustrating for sure but i think now um you know there's we talk a lot on this podcast about just the oversaturation of, you know, the industry now with Spotify and streaming across the board and YouTube and just the internet in general, what it's kind of, it's kind of allowed a lot of, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, um, crap <laughs> to uh, to kind of permeate uh, the industry, I think. But but with that, I think kind of forces a, a bit of a creativity on, on the real artistry side because you have to find the new angle now. So whereas, you know, even 10 years ago, when the streaming platforms were really starting to, to kind of become the thing that they are today, um, even then there was still this idea of of what works and what doesn't. And nowadays it's like, don't show me what works because it all fucking works. Give me something different now, right? And that's no. that's kind of where, you know, I think, what you bring to the table is it's why it's kind of thriving now because we do live in this landscape where there's just so much of the same out there and you're bringing this whole new approach to, to this style of music.
1: Yeah. I, I can say pretty confidently, you know, without even any sort of ego behind it or judgment behind it, but there's not, there's not, there's not many, if not at all, uh, you know, groups that sound like, that sound like this. 100. Uh, and that's just the nature of the instrumentation with the nature of the Uh, influences that are in each of the players so that's going to uh you know these are very unique (laughs) circumstances you don't see a lot of like american uh, dulcimer players with an irish background you know but trained in west africa and india playing with a a japanese bassist who's really into music of south america like that's not that's that's pretty small uh percent it's like it just keeps getting smaller (laughs) right people that are in line with that so uh if if uniqueness is what's going to allow a uh, a band to succeed then uh, i'm crossing fingers so <laughs> yeah
0: man i'm curious as to how aside from like the the industry side of it and the reception on that side how uh, what what was kind of like the audience reaction Cause just you know i saw you guys open up for snarky puppy at the florida theater here a few years back, my band was doing an after party at the venue next door. Actually, so I, ca- awesome. I, I caught your set, and then I had to dip out before Snarky played. But um, uh, I was amazed because that was my first time seeing or even hearing you guys, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is like, this is amazing!" And um, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, man. I'm curious. You know, was that kind of the audience reception from the get-go or did you have a hard time kind of winning the audience over at first?
1: I had two two things to say that. One is that the instrument itself is quite like an, an enveloping sound so it's it's quite unique in, in its sound but it's not just like oh that's a weird interesting sound it's like it's very wide and so it has this feeling I've noticed that it kind of like, like passes through somebody and they, there's like an effect that it has and I think it's just the nature of know 100 strings vibrating it's like it's gonna do something right Uh, like physics you know it's it's something's happening um and i will say though that uh new york which is uh quite spoiled uh when it comes to music uh it sometimes it takes some time it took some time you know to kind of uh to get through because a lot of people like
0: yeah, was great, man.
1: All right, and then they go next door, and it's like another incredible band. And then like you go like uh, two sets later, and it's another incredible band. So it's like, I, I noticed a big change when we started traveling uh, outside of the city, uh, and then uh, and then abroad uh, was like, oh wow, okay, uh, the music's not any different. What's happening? You know, like I remember we did a, a tour with Snarky in the UK, and our first trip in the UK. And people like bugged out. It was amazing. Also, there's a huge tradition of the dulcimer in the in the UK, that and makes so sense. And so there were people that were more aware of it, uh, you know, more than here. Uh, and then I, I remember we did it, and it was like we're playing in front of like five, six thousand people. Everyone's like losing their minds. And then we come home and we play a show, and it's like I'm like, yeah, it was good. I'm like, I'm playing just. Just as good here. Yeah, what's happening? You know, yeah. uh, I think it's just a, a spoiled thing. You know that <laughs> New York has. We're just like so. There's so much talent that uh, it makes us all kind of be like, yeah,
0: you should be like this. Right. You know? <laughs> there's definitely a standard that you're being held to, but then it's yeah. it's also just you know a market of 10 plus million people, and I think yeah. that because there's a combination of just amazing musicianship you know that you can find on any given night of the week at multiple places um and then also just the sheer amount of you know the, the dense population i think all of that combined it's like yeah i saw this amazing band last night i don't remember who they were and um and i don't really and I'm going to see another one tonight exactly you know? <laughs> exactly that so it's like yeah, yeah i would imagine although you know new york and la are probably the two i mean not probably they are the two most valuable markets to uh to win over in the world but with that being said uh be, be, you know because they are so valuable it's it's nearly impossible to do um yeah. because of the sheer amount of talent the sheer amount of creativity and just the sheer amount of people in one area you know
1: and new talents coming in every day every um, day i will tell you that when we used to uh play a lot in the very beginning of the band we used to busk a lot and play in the subway mm. um and that's when we really it was very clear to see the effect because we were just like selling CDs like crazy. And, uh, this was the, when the CDs were still, (laughs) uh, the main form of, of, uh, you know, music consumption. Um, but we were like, it was every single time we played for the, like a two, three hour set, whenever that was, it was always, it was always mopped. Uh, but it's, uh, it was, It was beautiful to see that because it was really like straight to the people. It wasn't like, okay, these are music snobs that are coming in or music, even in, in, you know, people that like music. A lot of people would come up and say, I don't really even like music so much, but you guys are great. I'm like, how can you even say like, I don't like music. I don't even know how to like what that even means. You know, like it's such like a foreign, It's like I can say, you know, like one type of music. All right. Well, even that is a little, uh, I don't know. That's weird too.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's like just the whole field. Do you, ever, you know I was like, ah, "Do you ever feel like know. that's that's like the weirdest backhanded compliment also because I've had somebody say that to me where they're like, "I don't even really like music, but I really like your band." And It's like, "Oof. I don't know if I so want
1: to am
0: I not <laughs> <laughs> am I not music? Am I not good or like I, I I your opinion is it's hard to judge because that could that could yeah. be either we are so groundbreaking which I know in my case, especially at that time, it was not the case, <laughs> yeah. um, or were just that bad that you didn't have to really think about it. It was just like, yeah, that can this could be on. I could take it or leave it. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, yeah, I guess that's true.
1: I just took the ten bucks uh, for the yeah. CD and was
0: like, thanks, dude. Didn't you know? think too much about it. Yeah, I'm just trying to yeah. fucking survive here, guys. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh. So. So, was House of Waters like like the first like the first band that you put together and kind of you know were composing for and took to this level, or were you involved in other projects before this?
1: I mean, something you know, uh, occasional in in college, you know, like um, some stuff there. Uh, but uh, I think once coming to the city, it I, it really changed everything, and that's that's that was the first group that I put together when I came to the city. Uh, maybe I mean maybe not immediately. Maybe there's a couple like, couple of gigs here and there with some kind of you know uh, ensembles here and there. Uh, but generally speaking, that was pretty early on um, of, of coming to New York, um, mostly stemming from like playing in the subway and playing like uh, restaurant gigs, you know. Right. Uh, and then we started just like building material, writing material, you know, adding it to uh, the instrumentation and like you know arranging it. It actually used to. It started out. Uh, as a five-piece uh, with guitar, two percussion, no drum set, um, oh, bass, and myself. That's cool. And yeah, that was that was a, a fun uh, a moment with the group. Uh, we did a record, uh, our first record, an EP called Elsewhere, uh, which is very hard to find. I think I have like two copies left. No shit. Um, and it might, I might, I think it is streaming. It's streaming, so you can check it out. But it's very different. Um, because it's two percussion, you know, not, no drum set, a very different, uh, kind of sound with that. Um, but the same bass player, Moto Fukushima. And so he and I have been playing together since 2007. Wow. Uh, which is crazy. Good on you guys Uh, to be able to
0: keep that relationship going, bro. I've, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's gotta be, you guys must really work at it.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, we, we really have figured out a really beautiful, uh, dynamic and relationship. And, um, my wife calls him my first wife, Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so it's a,
1: it's a funny little uh, joke. Uh, but we, we were able to really musically, I think musically we didn't step on each other's toes, a very little overlap because of bass and dulcimer. I mean, he does have a high range because he's playing six string, but um, I'm obviously higher. And so uh, we've been able to just, he taught me a lot about comping and how to play behind so we could be able to switch off and do a lot of this, which I think is what's really um, fun about the uh, the group. After the five piece, it eventually became a, a trio with percussion, bass, myself. And then it became drum set, uh, bass, and myself. Gotcha. Uh, and that's kind of that's where it's at now, and it's I guess like third or fourth iteration.
0: So I wanted to comment on that actually, the comping and how you support his soloing. Um, it's it's really. Um, It's beautiful because it's, it's hard to, to comp a bass player um, without sounding like you're losing so much uh, of that bottom end and that groove. And I think you do a a great job of kind of, you know, filling the space obviously, but kind of building melodies without like that, that support his soloing without stepping on his toes at all, you know, and that's. And that's something that I really, I, I noticed that I really appreciated. Is that something that you guys have, have worked on together, like just in practice? Or do you think that just, it's like a natural thing that you just know what that space feels like?
1: No, it's definitely taken a lot of a lot of work um, to get there. Uh, especially now that Moto has brought more uh, of his melodic lead, um, you know, and also his songwriting uh, to the group. Um, he's writing a lot of music now for the group, which is awesome uh but it did take, the instrument has, uh, has so much sound, uh, and a lot of ringing tones. And if you have any sort of chromaticism, uh, you know, it's going to have dissonance. And also I don't want to yeah. like pigeonhole him in his solo and being like, no dude, D major, you know, like I want to be able to, uh, even if I move on from D major, that F sharp is still ringing, right.
0: you know? Totally. And so
1: I have to make sure to be very choosy about like, um, how to do do it, uh, what octave to do it in, what rhythm, uh, how much to play, how much to overplay, how much to underplay. Do I go high when he goes high or do I go low when he goes high? Uh, do I add speed or do I do, am I very sparse, but loud. So the resonance lasts, um, do I mute? Do I, uh, do I pluck, you know, uh, right. uh what all these different, uh, you know, timbre approaches. Um, but it, that took, I mean, I still feel like that's what uh, I give it a solid B, you know, <laughs> like I want, I, maybe a B plus, like I feel good about it. I feel really good, especially on this new record. Um, we can talk a bit about, but the, uh, the new record, it sounds, I'm really happy with the, the comping. Uh, but I, it's, it's a constant uh, like column that I want to be addressing uh, in my, in my playing. Every, in my, when I'm thinking about when I'm on stage playing, uh, that is, that is one of, you know, four or five things that i'm constantly like okay don't mess this up right you know, i want to be i want to be there i want to actually compliment you know uh uh the an add to without subtracting it from uh what moto's doing
0: right that's hard yeah man well you know and lucky for you back to what we were talking about earlier there's really no basis <laughs> other than you know, that other than what you're establishing right now, is as far as the style of music goes on a on a on a general consumption level, right? So it's totally. like you can kind of set the tone, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, no pun intended, but also like you know, establish the, the vocabulary that, that, that that's happening there. I think so. That's super cool. But I also think in as a musician who's paying attention to those things uh, tonally and otherwise. You know, it doesn't sound amateur or like or like you're just trying to figure it out. It sounds it sounds like you've you already established the thing, and I'm stoked to hear about or to hear the new record and how you've even taken it further. Um, yeah, I'm curious how much are you trying to anticipate? Uh, mo, uh, mo, moto as mo, I moto moto moto. Okay, how much are you trying to anticipate what, mo, what moto is doing? You know, harmonically and, and otherwise to try and establish what you're going to do behind him?
1: Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, it comes down to just listening right. uh, and like very active listening, um, which is obviously much bigger than just music. Right. Um, <laughs> and I think we could also talk about it in a bit, but the my, my studies in India really uh, pushed me to this more philosophical thought process about active listening versus passive listening um, in terms of relationships and conversations. yes, uh, and improvisation, which is what we're doing right now. You know we're improvising a, right. a, a language together. Uh, but when I'm listening to people that I'm collaborating with, and especially Moto, where I've you know who have had such a history with, uh, I know a lot of what he's gonna do exactly. Uh, or you know, at least approach wise, right? Um, I know like, okay, yeah, maybe here he's gonna do that thing, here he's gonna do this thing obviously that's not a hundred percent. But I think what I try to do is, um, you know, as much as I can be an extension of, of his soloing. Yeah. I love that. Uh, so that means sometimes that like, how dare I even try to touch that, you know, I mean, it's like, Oh no, no, I, this, he's saying something. I'm not trying to interrupt him right now or even add to, Right. You know how, how many times you have conversations with people, and you're totally on the same page, and you're vibing, and you're kind of finishing each other's sentences, and that has value, but sometimes that could be frustrating because the person can't say what they want to say in their words, you know? Right. Uh, and so I have to respect his uh, his own words, and and try to. Add to it in a way that still allows him to say what he needs to say, uh, and that could be as minimal as like downbeats every sixteen measures, uh, or you know, drumming on one note, or doing crazy high runs quietly behind. You know,
0: uh, right? Man, there's really
1: no there's no wrong answer. It's just it's just you just have to listen. You have to you have to hear it. You have to hear him and try to see like if he was speaking what is he saying and am i am i stopping that am i stopping him from saying something
0: right right hard well, especially if you like what you do you know like oh this is going to sound great you know it's like <laughs> well <laughs> that's that's the i talk about this all the time with especially with younger musicians that are coming up about just like intuition as a musician and um and how this translates just in life in general just having good intuition and instinct is what allows you, or man, it's even hard to say good intuition, just trusting your instinct and intuition, right? Yeah, That allows you to take those risks that, you know, may lead to failure, but also may, may lead to like these ultimate, you know, these huge payoffs. And I think that musically you have to think about things in that same kind of way, which is why it's so important for musicians to be listening, not just while they're playing, but listening to music, when they're not playing and just and just really, you know, not passively listening, but actively listening and trying to understand why this is working in this context, whether it be, you know, grunge rock of the nineties or avant-garde jazz, whatever it is, just just trying to understand the communication that's happening. And then so that way when you go into a situation, especially in improv, um, but writing and composing too, but especially improv, yeah. Where where you can where that, where you, all you really have is your ear and, and your instinct, right? And, and the more that you can really kind of internalize uh, while you're listening in your own time, it, it, it translates into the communication that you're having when you are playing, I think, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's been a little tricky uh, because a lot of my background musically has been like a, a lot of like overplaying in the in the Irish scene, I'm I'm like the the role of the instrument is this melodic lead. My studies with choral players in Senegal, it's like there's doing a, con- a huge amount of stuff is happening. You know, basslines, harmonies, melodies, improvisations, all happening at the same time, constant, and it's in, and it's fast and you know uh, uh, intricate. And then even in India, uh, the tradition of the instrument is solo with percussion generally speaking, obviously there's little things here and there that change, but the, at least in the, the modern uh, version of the instrument, uh, it is, uh, in the Indian classical form in Hindustani music, it's, it's your melodic instrument and then your percussion instrument. Sometimes you'll have what's called jugal jugalbandi and you'll have a secondary harmonic instrument in, but generally speaking, it's, it's just, you know, this, this duo. And so my background is all eyes on me, uh, and overplaying is fine. Right. And, uh, and then took me, I mean, it's still, I'm I'm always, like i say it's still a major part of what I want to do with this, this music is to really take a step back of that and just try to be intuitive, you know, have the fluency of course, you know, in your, in your craft. Uh, but eventually get to a place where, you know, especially with a long relationship, but even without that, uh, I did, on the record, there's a drummer. I had never, my first time really playing together was on this record. And, and he, uh, And, and I still had to try to listen like so intently so that when he would hit that accent, I'd know that I got it. He's going to try to do this thing here. I got it. And I hit the line and I hit the downbeat with you. Right. You know, um, and those moments like, boom, instantly the band feels great. And then they kind of fuel itself. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges, uh, in, I think in probably in anybody's, uh, You know musical kind of relationship with other people
0: yeah how do you do it yeah exactly (laughs) man i think i think it's it's beyond you know or aside from just the language of music itself it is that communication that happens interpersonally you know with uh you know playing and 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 otherwise with with the people that we're playing with i think the fluency and the language of music that you're talking about um having that fluency allows you to develop a stronger instinct and intuition on things which is why you know you can walk into a situation with a drummer that you never played with before really and record a record and take risks and then you both land like winding up in the same spot because there is that fluency of course but that fluency also implies the instinct right so it's like you yeah. can you can really just kind of Without having a verbal dialogue, get to the same place musically because you just know instinctively what's going to happen, you know. And I, uh, my,
1: I can say my solos are generally pretty weird, you know. They, uh there, a lot of it is based off of uh, like Senegalese djembe and uh, and Senegalese kora, and so there's a lot of like over the bar stuff, like a tremendous amount of that.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's um, so fun to listen to.
1: <laughs> and it's fun, and so like, because yeah, because you just take a step back and be like, wait a minute, it's not just math here. Like, let me just kind of communicate uh but i was i was curious after listening to all these mixes and stuff i'm like okay thank god we you know we brought this amazing drummer in and uh and he's able to even without you know a lot of uh history he's like he's hearing where i fit you know even if i'm playing you know super out uh and and also the the lock being locked with the bass player you know is is it's an always, yeah. Uh, it's pretty key, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, and, and conversely, I have to be locked with the bass player when the drummer is doing the solo, or I have to be locked with the drummer when the bassist is doing the solo, and so we're always kind of thinking in these like little duos,
0: you know. Uh, right, right. As a trio. That's so funny. Yeah, it's so true, though. Yeah. I think about it as uh, as like
1: three. We're kind of like three percussion instruments. I mean, it's all rhythm section, right? If I'm piano, uh, right. Then it would make sense that. The melodic instrument also with moto, being a melodic instrument has a relationship bass and drums the most common and most important relationship in music uh and then i'm a percussionist basically right you know uh so drums and myself have to have to have our own little relationship uh so it's these series i think that is pretty fun and that's how we, we've written a lot of stuff
0: into our music that way I love it, man. It really translates. I'm curious about this new record. Uh, tell me a little bit about yeah. it uh, and how may, it might differ from the stuff you've put out previously. Quite,
1: quite dramatically. Uh, we, we got um, Antonio Sanchez just playing drums. Okay. Uh, Who is just he's incredible. Uh, he's one of the probably one of the best players I've ever played with. Just remarkable and a great person. Just one of the best out there. Um, and myself uh, and Moto. That's our core and uh we did we have a we have mike stern on guitar coming in for one song yes uh and the singer priya darshini who um uh was on one of our earlier records uh i think it was the first ground up release a song called hamza okay uh she's the singer on that and she came back and did uh, a re re reimagining of a song that we did before but with lyrics this time oh super Uh, cool or using Indian solfege, Indian sargam, uh, and it's it's pretty it's it's pretty special. Oh man, uh, I can't wait so that's to get that. that. But we did we did a, a certain set uh, amount of compositions, and then uh, more and more over this past couple of years, we've been getting really into just like solo freeform improvisation, and that's I think a lot stemming from. The isolation that you know we've all went through the past three years or so, right. this kind of separation. We don't even want separations, and we were kind of recognizing that uh, a composition was a separator. Interesting. you know, Like, wait a minute. I'm sitting at home writing all this stuff. What does it have to do with the audience? That's nothing to do with um, them. It has nothing to do with the moment that is played. Uh, I mean, mind you, we write in mm-hmm. moments where we can be expressive in the moment, but in the end... A, a part of it is a little bit of a separator. It's just like, oh, I don't know what's going on. like with that person you know who doesn't know anything about jazz and they show up to a thing they're like, oh, I don't even know how to I don't know how to listen to it. Right. I don't I, we don't want any of that stuff, you know So what we decided was to uh, pragmatically also to cleanse their palate. but even just conceptually, uh, we were gonna do uh, as many as we could really uh, improvisations, free form, top to bottom, no direction whatsoever, just start wow uh and we did like 14 of them uh probably nine or 10 are pretty kick-ass and like uh five are like all oh, right like we really those are great uh, and so we're gonna put as many as we can to fit on the record uh, uh with the rest of our compositions but maybe we'll get about three or four in uh and then Maybe do another record uh, next year or something with the remaining ones, or sprinkle them out as singles.
0: You yeah, can decide as,
1: as as time goes, you know.
0: That's so, I mean, so smart too. Just I mean, if there's one, not to get too inside baseball on this, but like if there's one thing as an artist to be like aware of, just backlogging material and content and stuff, because holy shit, what a what a what a whirlwind it can be when you're trying to play catch up. It's so like you got all this shit to do and then you got to produce all this content and write new material, all that meet these deadlines. Like, well, if I got it backlogged, then I'm not so, I'm not so under the yeah. gun and I can focus on being creative, you know?
1: Yeah, we did six. I mean, in the end, we came out with 20 pieces, you know, and uh, it's like, that could be three records, no question. That's you know? amazing, uh,
0: man. That's so cool. Easy.
1: And Antonio is just uh, unbelievable. I mean, it's, uh, what he brings to the table uh, is unlike any other type of playing that I've heard. Uh, and he's like kind of like that in general. So maybe his playing on ours is not as unique as his playing on others, but it's incredible. He's Pat Metheny's uh, drummer, and
0: yeah, that's uh, where I know that name from.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. He did uh, uh, the Birdman movie. Um, oh, he, he's that guy. No shit. Uh, and he has an amazing group uh, called uh, Antonio Sanchez and Bad Ombre. Um, they're just awesome. We just saw them in New York two nights ago. Uh, they're they're they crush well, um, that's with uh, big yuki on keys uh lex adler on bass um tana alexa the singer uh singing and then uh antonio on drums
0: damn so yeah. that band is crushes they have like a residency there or is it just kind of like there's gigging around
1: Gigging around they did a decent amount of tours uh they they played at ground up fest this past year last year um i think it was not not uh, not the one in February, but the one prior. So okay. I guess 2022,
0: one, tw- Right, um, yeah, I forget twenty three already. Yeah,
1: won. so <laughs> it happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he's amazing, uh, and then coupled with Mike and uh, and uh, and then with Priya, it's really uh, it's something special. I think it's really really unique, and I haven't heard haven't heard a lot of music like it.
0: Yeah, man, I I uh, i plan on being back and forth from here, in New York, a lot this year, just trying to. Maybe, you know, I don't know, make a move or something. I establish some roots somewhere. I don't know. I'm, I, I love, I mean, I fell in love with New York when I was there and I just love the creativity and the art that's just, just there. Just, it, it was inspiring to say the least. Um, but I want to talk more about the record because you guys had Mike Stern on it. We were talking a little bit before. This is like somebody that I've grown to really love and he's become like one of my biggest influences as a guitar player. How many songs is he playing on? What's his contribution to the whole thing?
1: He's just uh, on one song as a special guest. Okay. Uh, so Antonio did the record. Uh, Priya's on one song and Mike is on one song.
0: Okay, cool. Cool. And how did you guys land on did, Mike Stern? Uh, uh,
1: so Moto uh, does a lot of work with Mike Stern uh, and his band. So he does a lot of the New York shows, but also a decent amount of the, the touring. And him and yeah, and Lainey have become very close uh, to both Moto and myself. Uh, definitely way more with Moto. They do so much together. They had a composer's club for a long time where they would just meet every friday and bring a new song and
0: that's so uh, cool So they have a
1: deep a deep relationship um and so that uh that made a lot of sense and mike is so funny because he's like the first time we met uh, at least the first time i met. i think maybe even the band too the first time we all met him we were playing at 55 bar which is uh this incredible jazz club in new york city that just closed last year after 108 years
0: no uh, shit is, man
1: yeah, atrocious that it uh, had to close, uh, you know, raising the rent type of stuff, which is awful. Yeah. Uh, but we were playing like the early set opening up for Mike. They always have two sets. Uh, and Mike just like walked in. He's like,
0: wow, man, this is far out, man.
1: And he's like, threw all of his stuff down and just like ran over to the stage. We're just like, it's such like the, you know, he's such, that is his whole vibe, you know, and uh, just like the sweetest, uh, kindest dude. And when, uh, when Moto approached him for the the record, he's like, "Yeah, of course, man." And then we figured out like how to do it, and uh, we're doing a lot of doubling, so we're trying to create a sound that is like quite unique. We're almost it's like a because the dulcimer is like we're putting a little bit under, so these kind of go together, so it feels like like a punchier guitar or something that has more strike, like a whole new instrument. We were trying to go for. I love that. You know, uh, make it something new, but at the same time, like we had mentioned before. As soon as you hear that first note, uh, we know it's it's Mike. He's he's really has a, a ability to. Uh, he, he's just he's created his own sound. It's it's remarkable.
0: Yeah, man, I'm really curious about so how that interplay works with you guys because obviously Mike Stern, has got this very airy kind of tone, and he, like to me. His phrasing and his control of his, of his, of the, the, like the bends that he does and stuff is just, it's so, it's so masterful. How does that interplay work with you guys? Because is he doing a lot of that bending stuff or is he kind of like adjusting to the dulcimer? Because you, you don't, you can't really, I mean, I might be wrong, but you can't really bend, right?
1: I can do it uh, a bit so I have some on the record but um it's generally speaking it's a it's a fixed pitched instrument.
0: Right. Know? So how are uh, you guys kind of working that interplay out to to kind of create this sound? I'm just curious as to to the the headspace yeah. you're in there, you know.
1: So any I mean his solo he could he could definitely he and be him. So I'm not obviously uh, uh doubling any of that. I could be comping, but it just um uh you know, trying to be as minimal as possible as well, because it's already bass comping. You know, I'm, right. trying, I'm trying to think about stuff like a piano, sprinkling notes in here and there, and and then also all the gaps that are between a melody. You know, that he can kind of like do a fill into or out of. Uh, that's that's fully on him. But for the melody itself, where it is, you know, I'm fixed pitch behind him. I think as long as it's mixed properly, uh, you know, it can be him gliding from one to the other or kind of doing a, uh, a phrase, I'm doing this, but doing a phrase, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that kind of moves or bends from one note to another. Uh, if I can maybe highlight those notes uh, without the bend, but just like underneath, like and hit the, hit the markers, like instead of going from the third to the fourth to the second, like you might go to, Duh, oh, if I can go, uh, oh, you know,
0: um, I see. Yeah, that
1: might be, that might be a way to, uh, to allow him to still be himself while uh fitting into a group that you know he wouldn't necessarily be, be doing uh, but he also he's has such a history with piano yeah you know uh that he knows how to do that I mean I we didn't have to we didn't have to say anything I'll bet honestly he, he knew exactly where to go and he took freedoms and we've got it mixed really beautifully and I think it it's uh it, now it sounds like this new instrument whether it's like this like these little Drops of strike, right? Uh, that happen. Oh man, you know, uh, it's pretty. That. It's pretty cool. I'm so yeah.
0: excited to hear this album, man. It's really like I just, I just the way that you're talking about it right now. I, I can already kind of grasp the ah. concept. I'm, I'm like, just I'm so stoked to hear how it's all come together. I'm curious. There's two things I want to ask, but they're kind of separate. They're not really related questions. But so I'm gonna try to figure out how to do this. Uh, one collaborating with uh, people that are skilled enough, comfortable enough to take a risk, even though it's not their baby, their project, right? Versus people that you kind of have to, you know, put the training wheels on and walk through the whole thing. Mm. I'm curious about, that relationship and if you guys have scenarios no names obviously just about you know where you do have to kind of walk them through the process versus people that are willing to kind of you know again use their intuition and instinct instinct to take that risk what's kind of you know there's got to be like an up up and downside to both and i'm just curious as to your experience there and and you know how it's kind of gone wrong or worked out in both scenarios
1: We've definitely had, uh, myself, I, I mean, within the band and even outside, uh, uh, in another context, uh, because of the lack of exposure of how this instrument sounds and is played and the role that it plays or can play, we've I've had challenges for sure, uh, where it's like, I'll be doing some sort of double time thing. And that means that the person that's playing with me feels like that they should also speed up you know, right. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm playing on top, you know, but I can't say that on the middle of the stage, you know? Right. So uh, like, no, 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 calm down. I can't, I, you know, it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, you know, so <laughs> uh, there have been plenty of challenges of things like that with, with certain players I, that, that operate in, in this higher, you know, uh, level, I guess. I can, I can judge that. Yeah, a higher level. They're already doing that, that active listening they're already asking the exact same questions that I'm trying to ask myself when I'm playing, even with somebody I played with for 15 years. Like, how do I play with moto? Right. Like I've been asking myself that for 15 years. And I think you have to always totally. be asking that. Like, I don't want to stop asking that, you know? Uh, and I'm sure he has the exact same thing with me guaranteed. Uh, so I think that if, if you're trying to, uh, if you're a musician out there that are, are finding yourself having to, uh, or, or, or feeling like that you need to be walked through something. Uh, the, the the way to really do it is something like we talked about before, like taking a step back and being like, okay, where, where does this actually fit? Let me, let me hell Let me write it down. You know, this person is this octave and that uh, range. This is this person is this octave and that range. Right. And, the, and I, and I am seeing overlap here. So I have to be careful when I am, uh, in my upper register, because that means that in their lower register, there's going to be, uh, you know, toes being stepped on. And how do we, and that's just harmonically. What about rhythmically? You know, uh, so there's, I think it's, it's just a constant, uh, it's homework. You just gotta, the, the only real way to get around that, uh, f- from somebody who's also probably been on the other side of it, sure. uh, as well, you know, for other musicians, they're like, Oh, you gotta hold this guy's hand, you know, through it. Uh, I think it has to it has to be presentness. It has to be a constant state of just uh, of of curiosity and just open ears like the whole time. Uh, that's really it
0: that's that's you know? such a good way to describe it because that that curiosity that's the key right there is always. I feel like I was listening to another podcast recently where they were talking about just relationships in general, and the thing that always keeps them that keeps them fresh, whether it's a marriage of, you know, 30 years or it's, you know, a musical relationship or otherwise, there has to be just a genuine curiosity there um, of the other person. And that's what keeps it interesting. You know what I mean? So as, and in the context, I'll, I'll, you know, outside, we'll keep it in the context of music. Cause that's what this is being fluent. Like we talked about and being willing to take those risks and trust your intuition. I think when you see, that quality in a musician, I think it genuinely makes you curious as a musician who tries to exemplify that as well. So it's, and, and when, when you see that, you want to kind of, that curiosity creates this kind of mutual respect for each other where, where, you never, where you're never settled, right? It's always kind of a challenge and that's what's important, I think.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Mike, when he came in to 55 Bar that day and like dropped his stuff and like screamed, uh, you know, because it's like such a Mike thing, uh, so you know, it's, it's the best. I mean, he's, he's the best, uh, you know, that uh, that would not have happened if he didn't have that that curiosity, that childlike curiosity, that constant excitement to to never be like, stuck on some sort of pedestal that he could easily be on. This is Mike Stern we're talking about. Of course. You know, like, no problem. Like, yeah, he he owns all the accolades, you know, 100 percent. But uh, he doesn't feel that way, you know? I mean, he'll he'll probably at the end of his solo was like, was that okay? Was that okay? You
0: yeah. know, and you're like... So, was that okay? <laughs> He's like, what are you saying? It's the greatest thing i ever heard in my Best life. Best thing i ever heard. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because he has that, you know, lack of judgment and just constant openness, uh, inclu- including critique, you know, it uh, it allows him to, or it inspires me to, to pursue that same path. Uh, and that's, you know, personally... On a you know on a human level, but also musically, absolutely. When I'm sitting there and I and I look over at another human being, uh, you know that I care about. You know, ideally, you're playing with people you care about. Hopefully, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people have played with people they don't care about.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, you know, but, but you're you're watching this other person, give some sort of expression. I mean, and you're and then it's and it's and you know ideally it's it's something that is inspiring to you. Uh, it makes you trust. Uh, you know, we we're talking about curiosity, but trust is just just as important in that where it's like, I can I can make a mistake right now and it's gonna be it's not gonna be a train wreck. Right. You know, like you guys you guys got it. I can try some crazy thing. And oh, I missed it. I didn't land on the downbeat. Oops, I accidentally oh I landed on the upbeat. Guys, come to me, hurry. You know, like yeah. uh and that's happened. I mean, I too many times to count thousands oh, of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, it We we all, every single person knows that.
0: I just had this, you know, you lose the
1: clave, you lose the one.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just had at a jam recently uh, where I was just, I was up there playing with some, they, they were all, you know, great musicians in their own right. But I just, there was a part that I, I was like taking a solo and I was playing over the bar line and uh, the drummer didn't lose the time, but he lost his place in the form so he resolved. Yeah. He resolved it like you know maybe, like like you know measure two or measure three, uh, A couple before, beats late or whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then my solo wasn't resolving quite yet, so it created this kind of this disconnect in the resolution of the whole thing. Um, you know which for me up there I'm like well fuck I just my my the impact that I was trying to to communicate to the crowd is lost now however we're still up here we're still making it work we're we're we're, we're fixing there's no train wreck basically right and that's yeah. that's that trust especially when when you're with musicians that you don't know you know
1: and you know i mean it's when you're playing in front of an audience it's one thing for sure but we also have to remember like why are we doing what we do why are you playing with the people you play with? Like it's, it's for the exploration. Yeah, exactly. Right? So like, I've had those moments where I look over and I'm like, wow, oops, you know, right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, sorry. And it's, and it's like never, it's not like uh, if you're playing with the right type of people, they're not going to be, you know, upset about it. Obviously you want to be accurate. Obviously you want, you know, uh, or intent, you know, Check the boxes off that you're trying to check off, uh, but if you don't, what happens? And that's uh, and is that actually bad?
0: You know, right? You like we we're talking about before the
1: Hendrix quote. What was it? What's the exact quote?
0: Uh, I don't know the, the exact uh, quote, but he said, but it was along the lines of like he's starting to hear people copy his mistakes.
1: Mistakes are. I mean, I don't know how many times I've made mistakes and then been like. <gasps> That's great. Yeah. Turn that into a new th- a new thing. How many times? I mean, scores.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know? probably pro- probably every day of your life in some capacity, whether it be music or otherwise, right? It's like just every day.
1: Yeah, so let's let's lose the judgment of of the oops moments. You know, uh but it does take fluency. It yeah. does take uh, it's not just, you know, do whatever the hell you want. No, you you have to know what you're doing.
0: Well, yeah, because I think I think, you know, this is a conversation again that I was having with somebody recently is about realizing when something is happening as a lapse in what's, what's, uh, what's generally characteristic of the person, or if this is something that's just part of, you know, who are you, or do you just suck or did you just fuck <laughs> up? Right. And that's, yeah. that's the difference. If we're, if we're exploring something, we're taking risks and we mess up the grace of goodwill has to be there on the people that you're playing with uh because hopefully they re- they recognize that, that was a lapse in 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 your in your performance not not the kind of, the exception to the rule not the rule right so
1: yeah that's just the uh uh what's the word it's just like the execution
0: yeah ex- ex- you know yeah.
1: okay yeah you didn't you didn't execute in that one way
0: but you're killing it the rest so of the what? time so you know what i mean it's yeah. like <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fine yeah. it's totally fine Exactly. And, so many times I've had that where I'll like end something on like on like the upbeat or something like that or, uh, you know, accidentally add a measure or subtract a measure or something. And then we're like, oh, that's actually really let's just do that. So now all of a sudden we're in seven, you know, like uh, yeah. just for one measure. And then we're back yeah. to four or whatever. Right. You know? And it's like that's uh, looking at a chart. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like is a, nightmare. What a, what a, yeah. What a jerk yeah. to have done this to somebody. But like where it was born from is this beautiful uh mistake you know totally uh, man that's that actually i think if we can be still have that curiosity and that openness to be like no 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 there's no wrong answers like actually then uh i mean that's the whole point of what we're doing
0: totally we're not
1: trying to we're not trying to be technicians here right you know uh totally. we're trying to be creators
0: exactly man exactly um of uh I'm super big into um studio work. Uh I do a lot of session work um on on the side and I've released several albums out under def- different bands that I've uh been in and I'm such a fan of the process. That being said, it is arduous and daunting and meticulous and the only reward is the end result. You know, like there's really it, it, it it's not it's the, the fun moments are, are, can be few and far in between when, when the nitty gritty work is getting done. So I'm curious how tired of you, of, of your music already of this record. And, uh, I'm curious about, you know, listening back to mixes and like, are you getting, you know, outside perspective from other musicians that you trust? Are you, are you, do, are you just listening to yourself and going back to the engineer with notes or what's that, that process for you guys?
1: Well, we, uh, for this record, we, uh, our management, uh, is Guy Eckstein, uh, is Billy Eckstein's son was Billy Eckstein's just like the legendary, uh, jazz singer. Uh, so he's been in the business for, really, I just saw yesterday, he just showed me, uh, he's on, uh, our manager guy is playing drums on soul train with Quincy.
0: No uh, shit. It's just
1: like, <laughs> I got to find that video. We have to post that somewhere. Yeah. So he's been in the business for a very, very long time. Uh, and is. uh uh, is just, has an incredible ear. So he's been, uh, the kind of objective voice as opposed to us being like, well, actually I think I like tick two more than tick. Like, you know, we're kind of thinking along those lines right? and, uh, or Hey, bump that one thing, over. you know, uh, where he's kind of like thinking big picture, uh, group sound. Um, so he's been really uh, helpful for that. Uh, plus our mixing engineer, uh, Ian pay, uh, he's one of the founders of, uh, of blue men. Uh, so he's been involved in the percussion world for ever. Uh, he also did my solo record. Uh, and he, he's the one who did our last house of waters record. The last one on the EP on Ground up.
0: Gotcha. So he's has a,
1: a really deep understanding of the, the dulcimer now, um, especially after the solo record. Um, and we could talk a bit more about that maybe, but, uh, the, the, the process was a lot of, uh, you know, because the instrument is so dynamic and, the, and Antonio is such a dynamic player and Moto is such a dynamic player, we have to be very careful about how we craft like the, uh, the image. Um, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, little, you know, volume edits here and there to make sure that a subtlety isn't lost. Um, because I'm hearing it direct on, but these microphones as good as they might be, you know, put that in there and it's the same frequency as a symbol, right good luck right you know uh so it's been a decent amount of that um but in terms of big picture having guy uh involved having Ian involved in the in that aspect of it and then of course um having uh you know the other musicians that are on the on the record having mike and having priya uh give their input not just for their songs that they're on but also for the other songs and how do they feel like it uh you know Does it sound too much of a departure when all of a sudden there's a new, you know, a new instrument involved? Um, Does that need to be addressed? Does that mean that the high ends and the track previous need to kind of, you know, kind of mellow out a little bit so that when Mike comes in with his first note, it's not like jarring? You know, it's a little kind of little group sound things that 99.9% of people don't uh, hear or even care about. Uh, You know, so, but it's something that for some reason we were big dorks about.
0: Well, I mean, I think that when you're, you you know, there's that, there's that reality of just existing in the studio where you're in this room uh, that's soundproofed and you're, there's no windows and you can be in there for, you know, 12 hours that day working and just scrutinizing uh, two seconds of a song for, you know, an hour or two hours trying to make sure it's all there and so you become obsessed with that and of course to somebody else they don't notice or they don't they don't care but everything that you're doing uh, has an intention every note that you're playing and you want to make sure that that intention is being served so of course you give it that attention to detail and the other and and, and the average listener they might not know that they care but they do because when they listen to the end result that's that attention to detail is what's giving them that feeling right and yeah. so, so I think it's important and it's, uh, it's cool that you guys are nerding out over that um, as much as you are about the performance as well. Because I, I think that as well as the performance can be, if, if it's not properly engineered and produced, um, the performance can be massively understated.
1: Totally. It won't be anywhere as effective. Um, and, you know, it's also tricky, right? Because if you're in a studio, you know, you're doing so many takes often. You know uh, some of our songs are on a click, but not all of them.
0: Oh boy, uh, none
1: of the improvs.
0: yeah, right. You know? right.
1: Uh, and we didn't want them because there's a lot of sometimes we have tempo changes that are pretty drastic. And we didn't want to stop and like deal with a new click or marking a click because what if that you know solo actually we want to do one more cycle of or whatever. So we wanted to keep it pretty open. So that's hard with editing and stuff like that, obviously, of course. but what we tried to do is not get too bogged down um, and not not get not lose perspective. Uh, so by easy by to obsessing there. too much. Yeah. So we see. So what we did, and I recommend this to anybody, is just, just play for three minutes, just improvise for three minutes, a completely different thing. So we would do that between takes. You know? Oh, really? Not always not between every single take, but we would literally be doing like two takes of one. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't really feel like let's do another. Actually, you know what? Improv. And we do an improv thing for four minutes, and then we come back and do take three.
0: Oh, I've never seen it's like it, it's, it's like a palate cleanser. Totally. It really was just like
1: oh okay. And now you can take a breath of fresh air, you can have a little bit new perspective, you can recognize that all that little stuff that you're obsessing about and that one thing doesn't matter. Right. Now let's be musical. Right. And you can still obsess. Believe me, there's plenty of obsession moments <laughs> that still happens. Of course. Uh but it was it was nice to be able to have this moment of like you know, let's just let's just dial this back and and try to be musical here.
0: Totally, man. And really, just try to communicate. That's awesome. That's that's I've never I'm gonna try that next time working in the studio with a band. I've never thought about that before. A, a palate cleanser. It's very cool.
1: Totally. I mean, think about if you're trying to learn a part for something, and it's like driving you crazy. Like you have to put down your instrument and walk away for a little bit, no?
0: Yeah. Totally. 100%.
1: And so and even when you come back, I found myself do that and then be like, okay. And then it is kind of I noodle around for a little bit and then it's like, all right, let me get back to the like learning this thing.
0: Right. So it's like
1: it's not unheard of. Like this is something we do uh you know pretty pretty regularly.
0: Yeah. Know, um, totally in general. That makes so much sense, man. I love it. Um I do want to touch on your solo stuff as well before uh before we wrap up, because I, I was giving it all I've been listening to it all just to kind of prepare for this interview. And, um, so this is different than what you do with house of waters. It's, it's literally just you and the dulcimer and it's, it seems more, um, like meditative music, I guess is the way that I would describe it. What was the intention there and what do you want to do with this music?
1: Well, yeah, I'll give you a, a bunch of different things about it. So, uh, during the beginning of the pandemic, I, you know it was really rough. Uh, a lot of people were getting sick. A lot of people were dying. Uh, my wife's from India, so India got rocked pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and, and the U.S. I mean, the U.S. got. I mean, New York was uh, a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, you know, 24/7 sirens. I'm shocked I was able to to get a record recorded. <laughs> um, it was all. It was a home studio. All, everything was done at home. That's wild. And, uh, and somehow, I mean, I would have takes where I, you know, or, or sections right here, sirens. I just like, well, there goes that, you know, you're
0: about leaving it just as like a creative choice.
1: I might have thought about that. I don't remember now, but I, it's very possible. I could have been like, no, man, I am losing my mind. Like the, you know, the intensity is is, is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but what I, I started recognizing was um, the only way I could really kind of be at, be there for somebody uh, was just to kind of give my, one of my biggest assets, which was, uh, which was my music. So I started sending just like five to 15-minute improvs to, to people um, as either they were in hospice or uh, in the hospital or dying or getting better or the family members of those people um, and just saying like, you know, I, I, I recognize what you're going through and there's nothing I can do. To really help, but um, not to minimize what you're going through. Here's something that I, I, I here's like a, the closest thing I can do for a gift, you know, um, to help in this way, if possible. Uh, and I started. This, I mean, I did this maybe about 15, 20 times, uh, and started seeing like, like it was actually really powerful for a lot of people. Uh, some people no response, <laughs> you know, and they were still too caught up in the in the the trauma of what they're going through. Of course, um, uh... but others uh, have become very close since then because of this type of um, you know uh, kind of outreach. And uh, I recognized like okay, i want I want to actually make a record of this. I want to do like a whole album. And so I improvised maybe three to four hours a day every day for about fifteen days, just straight um like press record and play for three to four hours and then press stop and uh then i listened back to all of it and chose my favorite uh contiguous hour um and so what you're hearing is one take uh all the way through uh fully improvised i had to i had to uh cut some stuff for spotify you know uh to make sure like okay it's not a 52 minute song it's you know the seven, seven-minute songs or whatever. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the, that's where it came from.
0: So that's all that's all one take that you just split up into, into different songs.
1: Into seven different songs, yeah.
0: That's beautiful, man. I love, first off, the intention behind it is so cool, is I think a lot of us as uh, people that, you know, write and create and stuff like that, whatever capacity that might be, felt at a loss during that time. Uh, just not ha, not knowing what the outlet was, especially as the live live performance was gone. But then there's a lot of people that were just losing relatives and and experiencing things in their own way, especially not having a creative outlet where they there was nowhere for this stuff to go. Right. So
1: people were going crazy.
0: Yeah. So it's it's amazing that you had artists. Like, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, which is, I just thought, think it's so cool that that you had that perspective and to. to to you know, empathize and sympathize with people, and to use, you know, what you knew how to use to contribute to uh, to to people's experience. You know, yeah,
1: some form of healing. Um, I mean, and then and then musically, uh, I mean, I can listen back to some of the older ones. Like it started out like much more uh, flashy and uh, much more like technically proficient. Uh, and I had this crazy image where I was just like envisioning the music being played. Uh, in the hospital as someone was passing and their family was around and I was like, I don't think I want any of that experience between this person who's passing and the person who's witnessing the passing to be distracted by the music that's playing in the background. Right. Like, I can't just, dis- I can't distract you from this moment. I can't take away any of your attention from what you're doing right now. Cause you're not going to get that back, you know, like that is the priority And similarly, like with comping, how do I complement that? How do I make your experience and your issue that you're going through the priority? And it turns out a lot of it is playing a lot less. Right. uh, You know, and just like literally letting, like I I had struggled, man, this, this, letting space go by that I'm like, I should have come in 20 seconds ago, you know? And it's like, it's still like going, Or or I should have moved on to a new idea five minutes ago, but I'm still here on the same space because I don't want, I don't want this to be interesting. Really. I want this to be uh complimentary. I want this to be a part of uh, a being that you're in, as opposed to being like a look at me moment, you know, um, that's very tricky. I, I, yeah, I struggled with that, uh, throughout the process of this, like really trying to find the right, uh, you know, patience, I guess, uh, and stillness to, uh, yeah, to operate in that way.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, aside, so aside from the, from obviously just having the outlet to create and then doing it for that purpose, there's this, there's this huge exercise and restraint um, there for you as well. Ooh, so hard. It's, it's hard, but man, it's, you know, it's important for musicians to do that and uh, to, to, to put themselves through that kind of experience. And I notice myself a lot like going to like, you know, a lot of the times where, where I get to be creative or at jam sessions around town. So I'll do that and I'll show up with, the, with the, the, the mindset of, I just want to support tonight. I don't want to lead because, you know, if you're here and you've seen me play around town, you know that I'm a lead guitar player and I do what I do but what I'd want to do right now is practice being a support player. So I'll show up to a jam and people will try and like get me to solo or lead a tune. I'm just like, no, let me just, let me play Let me just support you guys here tonight. And that's for me an exercise in just being a rhythm player and also getting creative with playing rhythmically, you know, guys like Corey Wong. And obviously, you know, you know, part of the snarky crew, Mark Latieri and guys like that, that are just, that are just, aside from being a masters f- at it just yeah man i mean aside from being masterful lead players and w- with their own voices and while a- also authentically just uh, you know doing justice to every genre that they want the- whatever genre they want they're also just phenomenal support um guitar players uh, and musicians in general that i think it you know recognizing that aspect of it from guys that are so um you know just amazing as lead players as well. I think is important and something to take away for for every musician.
1: Totally, and I mean, if you've been a lead player, then you also know how it feels to be supported.
0: Totally, man. And it's
1: like it's like what an off what like an awesome feeling to give to somebody. Yeah, to be to, to show up and 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 just like make them flourish. Like man, like you're gonna get called back for that gig. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like totally, <laughs> like that feels. That feels good. And also to to give that is amazing.
0: Yeah, man. And also to know what it's like to not be supported and being stepped on the whole time where you're just like, bro, don't be that guy. Right. Totally.
1: Totally. Just, you know, my wife um, is is Priya. She's the singer on the record uh, and she's an Indian classical trained uh, uh, singer. And something that she said recently kind of stuck with me. Um, And she's like, uh, music starts and ends with stillness. It's, it starts and ends with silence. Like, here we go. We're about to start the song. Right. Silence. Right. We finish the song. Silence. And so that has just as much right to be there as a 16th note. A hundred percent. You know? And so to use s- silence uh, and stillness as a note, I mean, that's when you re listen to Schofield's a master of that. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, no, no joke, you know, these, there, there are tons of players like this. Mark's, uh, Mark, the is a master of that yeah. being able to just like hit a space and let this, this, the weight of that, uh, be more impactful. I mean, it's remarkable that the true players, true masters of their craft, uh, can pull that off. Uh, but again, it's, Quite tricky, you know. <laughs> it's
0: tricky, man. You know, it is tricky. But you know, the science—the science is written in the music. We have notation for it. We have—it's literally what creates phrasing, and it's a space in between that allows the notes that you're playing to actually have an effect. So it's important. Any sort of impact. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's important, man.
1: Another another cool thing I just want to mention, you know, we're, um, uh, as we're on the, on the solo thing, is uh, yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to be announcing actually, and it's coming out on the 19th. Uh, there's a remix of one of the songs on the record, uh, that's coming out, um, done by, uh, Sun Lux who's this incredible group. Uh, they're the ones who did the music for everything everywhere all at once.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, super that, cool. That,
1: that movie. And they did the song with David Byrne and that also got those nominations. And yeah, they're an incredible band. You should check them out. Uh, in general, they're just, they're in, like, so dope. Uh, and then, so they, they got, uh, word of the record and then did a remix for one
0: of the, uh, one of the tracks oh man congratulations that's so cool it's, it's pretty
1: dope it's being uh, announced tomorrow on the on the 6th but um the uh the it'll come out on the 19th and it'll be all over my socials and you know websites etc
0: awesome well, we're, we're gonna we're gonna link all that stuff in the, in the description so whenever people uh hear this i think this comes out in like two weeks um so it'll line it'll up actually perfect. perfect. Yeah, yeah. So we'll link all that stuff in the description and uh, make sure that people know where to find it, man. Uh, and uh, congratulations again. That's that's amazing. And and everything that you guys have been doing, man. Honestly, um, I know what it's like from the perspective of being in it and not fully, you know, appreciating where you're at. <laughs> but from somebody who, um, you know, on the outside, it, you know, just. Just doing the thing is an accomplishment in itself, and you've done a lot. So so it's awesome, man, especially carving your own way with this instrument and the, and the music. It's, it's, all, it's all just so inspirational, man. I love what you do, and I, and I can't wait to see more of it.
1: Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and if there's other dulcimer players that are out there or people that want to learn the instrument, uh, I, I'd love to help people on their path. I build them. I've been making them as well. Oh, really? Uh, since, since like 2007? Uh, with a great builder, uh, I've been apprenticing with David Lindsay down in Oklahoma. Uh, he's just this incredible builder um, and is very responsible for my sound in a lot of ways because uh, he built the instrument right. you know, that I first started playing on. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's been a, a, an amazing journey on that aspect as well. So, if there are other players or other people out there that are interested, uh, I'd love to help somebody on their path. Awesome. This instrument has to keep going, you know?
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Anton,
2: if you want to, we can do bottom line news. I looked at some stuff from the in the email.
0: Oh, you, you did? Do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. fuck yeah. It's some some it. news real quick. Yeah.
2: Um, a couple quick things, you know, just some uh I I've kind of got some categories over here, so celebrities um. Uh, first thing, Roger Waters is fighting against German concert cancellations. Have you guys heard anything about this? Uh, no, but not surprising. He, uh, the yeah, I hadn't heard about this. They, uh, uh he got a bunch of concerts in Germany that got canceled because he's being uh, uh, um, accused of being an anti-Semite. Yeah. Um, which I think is very interesting. Um, because I've always imagined his work being very much uh speaking against that you know type of government yeah, but obviously no? <laughs> but it, it's 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 full of that kind of imagery so i think they're just upset because it sounds like on stage uh um frankfurt's council has highlighted that uh here i'll send this to you anton um frank uh, uh still frankfurt's council has highlighted water's historical use of the star of david branded onto a prop pig as part of his show and I was like, Yeah, I guess I could understand that, but apparently, it it also has it. It insisted that the pig represented the evil of errant government, and also featured the crucifix, the crescent, and the star, the hammer and the sickle, the Shell Oil logo, the McDonald's sign, nice. a dollar sign, and a Mercedes logo. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's just kind of to me that's just kind of funny. But I, I do think it's very interesting that the that it would be the Germans that would be extremely serious about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought there was. Can- I thought he was getting grief because uh, there was like code cancellations, and he was upset about that. That's what I thought I, I knew about. I don't know about this thing.
2: Yeah, apparently it's uh, there. He's wow. they're like uh, yeah. We don't we don't like that uh, that 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 imagery is not okay here in Germany. Fair.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 also it's not surprising though either because you know, again, not to get too political or whatever. I'm not taking a stance here, but Roger Waters has been very outspoken. Uh, being anti-Israel and, or not, he doesn't, Uh. he calls it pro-Palestine, whatever it is. Uh, He's very outspoken about this. Um, And yes, the, his, if you listen to the conversations that he has and the way that he speaks, if you take the sound bites out, then yes, you can, you can start to draw conclusions that may not actually be real. However, in a long form conversation, you listen to him, talk it out, His real problem is just with people that are in power, taking advantage of people that that aren't. And you know, the perspective, you can you can you can argue multiple perspectives, and they're all valid to an extent. Um, you know, obviously, the West is very pro-Israel. So when he comes out and says things um, that seem to be against that, um well, you have people that will call him, you know, whatever they want to call him, and yeah. then especially in Germany, where you can't even, yeah. like, you know, being There's a Nazi is, yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. anti and being a Nazi is just straight out illegal in Germany. So yeah, you know, I can see why why that would happen there for sure. Yep. So that was a that was a real quick one. Roger Waters, probably anti-Semitic. Um, uh, uh, you heard it here first guys
2: the next one I didn't really know anything what do you guys know about Jim Gordon the former drummer for Eric Clapton do you guys Uh, know anything about him no I didn't either I just saw this one and I kind of like glazed over the headline and I just saw Jim Gordon drummer for Eric Clapton um, and then I just saw you know dead at 77 and I'm like oh very sad we'll just kind of we'll mention that but then I read it further and there's a middle part to the headline that I missed and it was Jim Gordon drummer for Eric Clapton and convicted murderer dies At 77, which I had no idea about. And I just kind of want to take you on this journey that I went for. Jim Gordon, he was a drummer for Eric Clapton and George Harrison, but also was convicted of murdering his mother in 1983. What? Um, no. Yeah, uh huh. So apparently in 1983, apparently he had a long history of mental illness and substance adi- abuse, obviously. Was not in the 70s, not treated right at all. Right. Um, oh, here's another uh Gordon played on countless rock songs though the 1960s and 70s, including hits from Beach Boys, George Harrison, Steely Dan, Carly Simon, John Lennon, wow. Gordon Lightfoot, Sonny and Chair, Nancy Sinatra, Tom Waits, Tom Petty, Frank Zappa, Alice Cooper, The Birds. Um, yeah, just you know, what crazy, resume. You crazy name, resume, yeah. yeah. And then it says, after weeks of threatening behavior, Gordon bludgeoned and stabbed his 72 year old mother to death on June 3rd, 1983. God, she must be been a that, real bitch, claiming that voices told them to do so. So, but um, oh no, yeah, so he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was sent to prison. Apparently, he was up for parole multiple times and never got it. This, I think, he died Died in an he incarceration. Died in prison. yeah. I think it, it was, uh, it seemed like, let's see, he died of. Natural causes California medical facility in Vacaville after a lengthy incarceration and lifelong battle with mental illness. So, I don't know if he w- had been released, but it sounds like from this article, he didn't get parole. So, it sounds like he's, oh, yeah, using. that's
0: that's wild. I wild. That, that happened with a, Phil Spector, who was there was another drummer or a producer back in the day that, that, I mean, that Phil Spector killed people. was or? not.
1: Oh yeah, he killed somebody. He
0: killed. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I think he killed his whole family.
1: Oh my god! And it was like oh, it was, I think it was his wife. Wife. I can look that up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, I remember he had the, the the court the courthouse photo of him. As his hair is just like this. Yeah. Insane. i like, just I just googled
2: man. him and this guy looks like a murderer. Yeah, yeah that's like, him. he yeah. looks he looks very very. He's also creepy. responsible
1: for for like all of the sound of the 70s. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, it's pretty. Uh, yeah, turns out you could be a jerk.
2: collection murder and imprisonment. Yeah, this guy totally murdered people.
0: Um, I mean, you know, genius does not come without its cost, guys. What do you to yep. do? I guess so. <laughs> and 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 I, I'll give up genius any day if
1: uh, if those were the cost, though. You know, like
0: yeah, hundred percent. I'm all good. i I'll just
1: get a. Go garden or something. I'll figure it out. It yeah.
0: it also begs the question. I've thought about this before, and this is kind of slightly off. Not well, not off topic, but kind of off music. The idea of like schizophrenia not necessarily being something that is um, a disorder, more of like a hyper awareness. You know what I mean? Because it's because mm-hmm. you've got people like John Nash, who's this amazing mathematician, and and people that are just brilliant that are that just exist on this. On this uh, this plane that most of us can't tap into, so you have to you have to wonder what else is coming through. That you know, uh, you know,
1: I mean, there's a reason why they say you're well adjusted. You know, like you're not um,
0: (laughs) right. You know,
1: you 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 are you're adjusting yourself, and that's what's making you fit. You know, right. Uh, Whereas uh, it's very possible without that adjustment, you could be. Noticing voices, understanding math, being a better whatever, uh, having a higher memory. Uh, but it's that process of, I think, subtraction, you know, that's really uh, uh, keeping, keeping you sane. You know, there's a, there's a great uh, radio lab, that uh, wonderful podcast yeah. you know, on NPR, and uh, they have an a, a episode about limits. And there was, they have a story about a guy who could remember I'm talking everything. And uh, like every single thing that he ever had seen, he remembers it. Uh, He could recite, I think one of the things that he can recite, Dante's Inferno uh, from scratch in Latin. He doesn't even speak Latin, but he just knows the sounds, you know, like uh, you name it. He's that guy. Uh, And he went nuts. Uh, He went
0: absolutely crazy. What a burden, Um, yeah. Wow,
1: yeah. If you think about a dog and you see every other dog that he's ever seen in his entire life flashes in his face right then. You know, like... Wow! Yeah, yeah, you're gonna go crazy. Yeah, you have to subtract. You have to adjust.
0: It's also it's also that uh you know going back to like that instinct and intuition right. It's like and and that and and that that uh, principle, unfortunately for those that are tapped into that level of existence or that that level of consciousness, that principle is even more important than because you have to, you have to know when you're taking in too much, right? And try to mitigate that or or, Mm -hmm. or like you're saying, limit, subtract, you have to, you have to know when that's adjust. yeah, Yeah. adjust exactly. And, and that's what makes it kind of like, you know, a disorder, I guess, is not being able to adjust or discern what's just you creating versus what's you taking in something truly important or, 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 you know, uh, productive, right?
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Um, so. Um, I'm gonna I've got, a, I've got some more that, yeah, that was a good one. I've got, uh, another one that's short and this kind of like, this one just kind of hit me recently because like, I, I had heard people say that like, oh, the, uh, music quality on Spotify is not good, you know, not as good as Apple music. And I was like, sure. But like, you know, I didn't realize how bad it was. And then like, I work for you, you don't know this. I work for a production company and I was sent out a pompano, um, with this huge sound system and I had to tune it and normally I tune it off my phone, but I I had given my, I let someone use my little dongle um, at a different show and they never gave it back to me. So I was like, whatever, I've just got to play something through this PA to make sure it sounds good. And I had my laptop and I had some songs downloaded on Spotify and I hook it up to the thing and it sounds bad. And at first I'm just like, okay, I'd miss this PA. Like, you know, I need to, you know, I just set this thing up wrong. I need to fix it. And then like the front of house guy comes in and he starts playing through and it sounds awesome, exactly how it should. And literally the next day I used iTunes instead of Spotify and it was 14 times better and I could literally AB it. But this article is, uh, when is Spotify Hi-Fi coming exactly? Apparently Spotify a while ago was contemplating actually doing Hi-Fi, but they are, apparently it was going to be a premium service, like an extra thing that you would have to pay for, even though Apple Music and Amazon are offering it. and That's just like part of their baseline thing. Is just dope audio. Yeah. So it, this question is, when is it coming? And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've been thinking about it. We've been working on it. But uh, I, don't, I don't know. We'll do it. You know, some at some point. What it's gonna look like. But I. It sounds like
0: Spotify is just trying to chase the video TikTok hype still. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. As we we've talked about again a lot on, on the show, Spotify's limit limitation is the the only service that they offer is streaming. Whereas their competitors like YouTube and Apple and Amazon are multifaceted networks and they can take a hit on the streaming side in order to get more customers to their platforms. Ah. Whereas Spotify is having struggling, is struggling to compete because they offer no, no other service. So it makes- Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because they're also saying they're like we're trying to find a way to do it in
2: a way that is cost effective. Yeah, ex- exactly. Apparently, the it would be it would be quite a change
0: for them to have to, to have to do yeah. that. Yeah, and these they can't, are, take, they can't take the hit. Yeah, right, yep. yeah, or 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 if it's gonna or if they're gonna implement it, it's gonna take more time because they're trying right now. They're readjusting their business model for something else, so it's probably not a huge priority because they see revenue coming in from this potential TikTok model. Whatever they're gonna try and do, so that's that's probably what they're excited about. And the hi-fi music is gonna to have to wait because also it's like you know Deezer, I think, was the first streaming platform to really um, introduce high definition or, or uh, like music listening uh, that, that the other platforms weren't necessarily doing. So if you wanted like real like like top quality streaming music. Deezer was where lock you did it, right. yeah. Yeah, and then um, now I guess the other platforms are offering that service. Where I think Deezer's right. going to have trouble competing there for sure. But you know, it it's they
1: got it, Europe though. I think Deezer has a pretty good lock on Europe. And it's also I, I think they got Agora for them, which is nice.
0: I think they also I think they're also like a subsidiary company. So like Deezer is not the thing. It's again, it's under like it's under a broader umbrella. I forget what the parent company is there. But again, it's it's just all like. You know, it's so complicated and convoluted, but as a musician and as an artist that kind of has to, you know, navigate these platforms to make a living, I think it's imperative that we have a a working understanding of that side of things to, so we can try and figure out how to make it work, you know?
1: (laughs) I have friends that like graduated Berkeley with like uh, music business degrees or whatever, and they're just like, this is useless. Yeah, because uh, right. uh, that's changed every every year. So that it's important to keep uh, to keep tabs on it and always be kind of up to date. Yeah, as much as you can, because that's like the way that you're uh, you know sending your music to people. That's how you are impacting your people. Yeah, obviously, I mean, ideally, you don't let that influence the art that you make. You know. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm not out here making a hundred fifteen second clips. You know, and you're like, ah. Got the TikTok thing unlocked. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to do that.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> but I guess, I guess you could. But well, I just, th- you know, I think authenticity is ultimately what sells, right? And you know, there, there's people that have utilized, like, you know, Scary Pockets is doing a great job utilizing these platforms without, com- without compromising the integrity of what they're doing. So, but they've also done it in a way where, like, you don't look at Scary Pockets and say, "Oh, there's that fucking cheesy." Ah, social media personality. It's like Scary Pockets isn't being inauthentic. They're just taking clips of their very original covers and they're just posting them, and and it's right. wor- and it's working. So I think absolutely finding your voice on those platforms is is important because it gets people to hear it and see it. Um, but also staying true to what it is that you do. Don't be a cheesy personality if that's not who you are, right?
1: Unless you are a cheesy
0: personality, right? If that's and at that point. Go get it. Go for it. Totally. That's. I'm. I'm very big on that. You know. Like. Like. If that's who you are, do whatever you got to do to sell your shit. If you're a cheesy personality. Yeah. But, but people like that, right? If you're not and you try to yeah. be that, the, the the consumer is not dumb. You know. Like they, they know when you're being inauthentic, and that's important to keep note yeah. of. You know. So. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, it,
2: yeah, um, I've got one more category um, and it's kind of we can kind of combine two articles in one. And I, at this point, uh, uh, um, I don't know if you've been listening to the, a lot of the previous episodes, um, but the uh, a lot of things that we end up talking about on bottom of the bill news is AI. So this is AI Watch. Welcome to AI Watch um, podcast. Uh, but we... Uh, So we've been talking about AI and we've always been kind of like, well, what are the kind of rules going to be? It seems like, uh, you know, we're like, there's a lot of things to figure it out and people are starting to try to figure things out. So we've got two things. The first one is the USCO offers new guidance on AI copyright registration, saying that copyright can protect only material that is product of human creativity, which I think is interesting. So they've finally tried to set something down how does
1: that defined though right how yeah
2: I, right. I, I think there's still a lot of a lot of room for some for some vagueness there um so yeah. um going on um if you
1: create a uh a, 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 if, if you create something you, if you create an ai platform or an ai whatever like a chat GPT thing does that mean that what Chat does is not human
2: creation anymore. It's, it's so this is saying copyright protection exists to help incentivize and reward human creativity, skill, labor and adjustment, not output solely created and generated by machines.
0: So so here's here's where this, so this is uh um there was a guy machine was made by a person right so so here's here's the argument right the edgi- engineers in this space are not in agreement typical in science right they can't agree on something but like sec- second third the the argument is whether or not you know if okay so if you create chat gpt then whatever creative output is coming from that the engineer is responsible for that. What they're saying now where the argument is, is like, okay, we're talking about second or third generation AI that's created by another, that, let's say ChatGPT creates an AI, which it, it's done. And, there's, and then that AI creates something. The argument now becomes, does the person who created ChatGPT um, own that uh, intellectual property? And that's where the argument's starting to happen amongst the engin- amongst the engineers. Where does it where does the AI start and the human begin, I guess. So, like so we, we,
2: we offer in uh, here later, it offers a little more concrete. It says, if it works, traditional elements of authorship were produced by a machine, the work lacks human authorship and the office will not register it. For example, when an AI technology receives solely a prompt from a human and produces complex written, visual or musical works in response, the traditional elements of authorship are determined and ex- executed by the technology, not the human user, which I think is okay. interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay so they define that a little better but to bring it to the music world what happens like i mean i think that's similar like if you're sampling somebody let's say you take a sample and you put that into a song does that person does that does the original sample do they get writing credit.
2: Are they So, well, oh, they 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 get something, right? Cuz you still have to right. you still have to register right. that they still get like you still acknowledge that you use that. And I, think, and I cost, think And I think I think the distinction they're trying to make here is that saying we will not support machines like if yeah. it's getting to a point where it's just like well did a really a human really do this i think that's kind of the line that they're saying no at that point if it's you just gave it a little bit and it did a lot then that is a machine's work and copyright is meant for humans and not machines Here we because go with the even terminator even language, then guys. E- even then Absolutely. i mean already like you know, but even you know cuz even then even your sampling argument kind of fits within that because they're still trying to protect yeah. humans because like bc boys still human yeah uh, uh, you know uh, paul's boutique by bc boys could not have been made. Now, like you could not make that album now because of the amount of sampling that happened in it, and they just did it and just kind of got away with it. And it was after that that they really started to crack down on that copyright, right, stuff. right? right. So, yeah. like, and th- but even then, it's just to protect other artists. So, I think they're not this acknowledging the, uh, the machines, yeah.
1: This is the start. The robots are going to cite this moment, yes, for why they. Exactly, and turned against us. Well, exactly. because
0: there is a real argument. <laughs> there's a real discussion happening amongst the engineers of this technology, that you know, there's AI that is showing signs of true sentience. So, and then in that case, do you grant them rights? Because if they're capable of emotions and creation and all the things that we are capable of, are they entitled to to be protected? And you know, again, the question then becomes. You know what are emotions and and you know and sentience? Is it just a collection of data? You know that's that's producing output or input and response and, and output response, right? So it's like this is it all gets very it's compl- the, complicated. It's the Chinese room thought experiment, the the idea that it's like
2: you you are in a room and you have a book in front of you that's basically like how to read Chinese, like or it's like a Chinese translator and someone gives you a bunch of things, you look in the book and it says like if you see these put this and then you write it down and send it out. You have no idea how to read Chinese. It's not translating it for you. It's just telling you when you get these characters do these characters. Do you know Chinese? Like, do you know Chinese? Can you know Chinese? Can you learn Chinese based off of that? Right.
1: Like, yeah. So, that's an interesting point. Yeah. But, um, There's a great uh, Star Trek Next Generation episode called Measure of a Man. I think it's in the second season where uh, the debate is whether Data, the android uh, robot looking guy, uh, is property of Starfleet or not.
2: Oh, interesting. And, uh, that's a good one. That, that's the same kind of
1: thing. It's amazing. It's an incredible, an incredible episode. It's on Netflix. You should check it out. It's called Measure of a Man. I think it's season two, like episode six or something, something in the middle. Uh, it's maybe it's season one. I think it's season two. It's, uh, it's an incredible thing talking about, you know, an army of, of data. like, what's that going to do? Is that, are those going to, is that like a whole class of people now?
2: Like, are those,
1: yeah. are those, or a class of like semi-sentient, you know, people? Or not people or, or beings? Are they actual properties? Is this, are we talking about slavery now?
0: Right. You know, like. Yeah. Right. It, Som- someday it's we'll have to amazing. address it.
2: Yeah, um, continuing on with AI um, giving more protection to humans, but also more fodder for the machines to want to overthrow us eventually at some point in time, um, the uh, a major labels in the Recording Academy and 30 plus organizations issue a list of AI principles. So uh, the Recording Academy, RI, RIAA and a bunch of other companies, it lists a, a bunch of them. Oh, let me get to the, the list. Uh, BMI, ASCAP, you know, uh, you know, all the the major hitters, you know, you're from globally have come together and actually created a list. Um, if I can find it, um, there it is of the um, of guidelines that they are going to try to implement to support human, like you know, support AI being used, but in a way that is still like creative and is not kind of like so that it doesn't over overpower. Um. So, um, today it says, and there's seven. So I'll, i I'm gonna read them off here in a second. It says uh, they, but they issue a list of principles to promote the advancement of AI while respecting human creativity and copyright law. I don't like so, that language. So <laughs> let's let's get to the list. Let's get to yes. the list. <laughs> weird. Yeah. Rule rule number one for the machines. Um, technology has long empowered human expression, and AI will be no different. So I guess that's just saying we want it to be a tool for people to use you know Mm -hmm. number two human created works will continue to play an essential role in our lives this is these are very just kind of vague and esoteric Um, Three, use of copyrighted works and use of voices and likenesses of professional performers requires authorization, licensing, and compliance with all relevant state and federal laws. So you can't deepfake someone is, I guess, what they're saying. Mm. Um, Governments should not create new copyright or other IP exemptions that allow AI developers to exploit creators without permission or compensation. That seems just kind of like building off the last one. You know, you can't, you know, deepfake people. Um, Copyright should only protect the unique value of human intellectual creativity, kind of, you know, side off what we were just talking about trustworthiness watch out, the robots are coming watch out 100%. trustworthiness and transparency are essential to the success of ai and protection of creators that's kind of like and this says good luck complete record keeping of copyright works performances and likenesses including the way in which they were used to develop and train any ai ai system is essential right but good the, fucking luck
0: so so the question is like if if ai has access uh, ends up you know having access to all this data and they're, they they get to a point where they can actually manipulate it then this p- poses a real problem to the laws that are in place because the idea is that there's that, that that the ai becomes smarter than us especially if it becomes you know like sentient so it's like you know with all the access to data and information at what point can they start manipulating it right
1: look what happens i mean you know uh Look what happens now! Like with, with you know, the history history is written by those that that conquer it. Right. You know, it's uh, it's exactly. just a matter of time. It's so it's so easy to 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 change like truth. You know, we've been seeing that a lot, right? That like all of a sudden we're talking about new different types of truths, and it's like, what are we? When did this become a right debatable topic of what truth is? You know, and so it's very easy to to see that in a couple of years or a couple of generations, you know, all of a sudden this whole thing world over. Yep. This whole thing didn't exist or a thing did exist, or this was actually how it was, or these people weren't so bad when they were really awful. And like this type of can easily be manipulated. Like no question.
0: Yeah. I'd be curious about getting somebody on, on this podcast we do like, we we also get like, we've had agents and managers and people on, on like the business side just to kind of talk about things. I'd be curious to get like somebody that works on the publishing side or even on, on the label side of it to talk about how they're prepping for this this new this this integration of AI into the into the world of music and art in general. Because you know this is gonna be, you know, movies and and everything. You know, we're we're seeing it now even in in the fine arts where there there there's these beautiful pictures, uh not even just like paintings, but like photograph like there there's photos of of scenarios that never actually happened, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like it's it's other than just a few little glitches, like in hands and whatever. There's really no discernible um, uh, uh, traits there that would make you think that it wasn't real, right? So yeah. so it's just interesting. I'm just curious. I'd be curious as to what what the industry is doing to prepare for this integration. You know.
1: They probably have no idea what to do. Yeah, the, the, you know, same way I have, I have no idea what to do. You know, I don't know how many uh, years will it take before an AI written song wins a Grammy.
0: Right. I, I mean,
2: I, I man, I would. Yeah, I, I bet they'll have their own. They'll have eventually. They'll just create like the AI Grammy. Like, who wins the AI Grammy? I really like, hope. Hopefully.
0: I really hope that they do create a separate category because if it ends up, if we end up having to compete, there's just no way that we're going to be able to keep up with that output. You know, like. Like, like an artist can't produce, you know, a sane yeah, the output's not going to happen. Yeah. A sane artist can't produce that that much quality music in that amount of time that the AI will be able to generate it, you know? So I don't know. It's like, yeah, just it's like that. It's, yeah. It's scary, you know? Yeah. I hooked up to quantum
2: computing, it turns out four symphonies every 14 seconds. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. something. Exactly. Exactly. Um.
1: Um, Hopefully, Dulcimer doesn't make it into that uh, the AI. That maybe we'll stay under the radar long enough to have a job. <laughs> yeah, you still.
2: I, I don't know, man. I've heard some. Growth. I've heard some really good MIDI samples, man. I've heard some really good MIDI samples. I, <laughs> I think we're.
1: It, I think we're actually. all in
2: trouble. We're all in trouble.
1: <laughs> this Casio Dulcimer. Uh, I have a bunch of sample packs out though, so check those out. Oh, oh right, plug. on yeah, nice dope, shameless yeah, that's plug there. I really like cool.
0: it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're here for.
2: That's all I got for uh, bottom line news. That thank was you. thank you for joining AI Watch as well. That
0: no that, problem. That was uh, I, liked the I liked AI Watch. Yeah,
2: watch. It seems like every week we end up talking about AI at some like. There's always an article where we talk
0: about AI. So like, let, yeah, this is it's a new it's a new segment. AI I lo- I love it. I love it. Um that was those were good, Gene. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, no problem. That was awesome. All right, so some unpopular opinions. Gene, you got anything for us today?
2: Yeah, I can do one. Um we'll see we'll see if it strikes a chord anywhere. Um, I think, and especially like in the field that I work in in live sound and stuff like that. Ah, uh, analog audio, um especially on like console stuff like that, is just overrated, just overrated. And like even getting into the like the recording side is like starting to get there too, for me. I will not say I, I will say this. I don't necessarily mean that I you know hate it. I do enjoy the sound of analog, but like from a practicality standpoint, every time we bring out like we have this one Midas console, the Midas Heritage H3K, it's literally like eight feet long and weighs like 700 pounds or, and it takes like six guys to like you know just get flipped over and tipped up every Every time we bring that thing out, I'm just like God damn it. Like, it's, I don't want to do it. Well, I don't want to do iPads it. That's not like, good yeah. enough. Like, like right. but even then, like, even our our nicer, bigger consoles that are digital, they're still heavy and stuff like that. But they're just like that. You can do it's so, like everything that those that you, you can get. So close to those, that the sound of those consoles, like so, so close. Is it exactly the same? No, I will, I will not, I will not, you know, just say that it is exactly the same. But it's just, it's so close, and especially the SXLs. Like I can use Waves plugins live, like you know, what I mean, I can get a lot of that analog type vibe live. So it's like I just think it's overrated. I think it's overrated at this point. Digital is very, very good. Um, yeah, um, I, I like it. It's heavy.
0: I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I don't know um, enough about it on the technical side, um, to, to say one way or the other, I, but on the practical, on the practicality side, I I would imagine that it's way more convenient to go digital. And then also I am not a fan of, of the, of the stuck in your ways kind of thinking, you know, I I put out, um, a, a post a while back, just asking musicians, like, what their favorite plugins are for guitars and, and, you know, even for like mastering stuff or whatever. And, uh, one person just commented, uh, fucking, uh, Marshall stack for, uh, four twelves and just cranked that just dimed out. I'm like, I live in an apartment, and that's antiquated <laughs> technology. Yeah, so yeah. It, <laughs> I, I to happen. Yeah, a three-story walk-up. It's like yeah, it, it's
2: nah. not <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not practical for everybody. But I, you know, I will acknowledge that. Like you know, I did. Yeah, uh, you know, I was at the parlor for a little while in New Orleans as yeah. an intern. I don't even know if it's it still exists anymore. But um, excellent studio had Neve console, analog everything. He had a real plate and stuff like that. When you're trying to achieve a sound, like you, if you're trying to get a specific sound. And that sound is much older. If you do exactly what they did, you're gonna get there. Like, that was the thing about being there is like, that is the one thing that was nice is that, like, with that console and all that stuff, as soon as you put faders up, it sounded like you would expect it to sound like from a record straight out of that time period from like the 70s and the 80s yeah, because it was all yeah. just gear from that time So right. like without having to do anything it was already there so like that is incredibly nice but at the same time we before that session we had to spend like two hours like you know opening up every single module of the console like the EQ the aux sends going through it there was a couple that were bad and one guy literally took two of these modules out and opened them up and unscrewed them and it's like this one had a bad thing here. And this one had a bad thing in a different spot, and he was literally unsoldering capacitors and like switching them between components to make one EQ that works, so we could have like one uh, full It's channel Not it's not effective. No, like it re- they require so much maintenance and
0: upkeep, and it's like it's but crazy. It's it's also like when 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 you when you when you're asking for advice like that as a musician. Like the, uh, coming, a lot of the old heads. You know, no offense. I respect everybody that came before and that did their thing. It set the tone for me, and as a reason why I'm playing music today. That being said, when you come to me with an answer like that, just oh fucking Marshall stack, fucking cranked up to ten, blah blah. Like first off, there's just a dismissal of curiosity there, right? It's like the fact that I could even be entertaining anything else. Number two, just the assumption that I'm trying to do what was done 30 or 40 years ago. Is also just like understand why I'm asking what I'm asking, um, and if you're not willing to entertain it, then just don't come to me with an with, with an opinion. Then don't be a douchebag. Basically, you know what I mean. And, yeah. and and the the old heads have a have a have kind of a uh, you know just just a stuck in their in, in their ways mentality. I understand not want like you know not feeling like you can keep up or or not wanting to adapt because you think that you guys figured it out. Um, also, there's so
1: much. It's constant, right? There's so much stuff happening every single year, every single day. Yeah. You know, in this in this field, and the technology is just you know increasing in quality so quickly. That totally. I'm I'm behind. I'm cons- everybody's behind. You know, nobody's on top of it really. Right. Um, I will say this about analog: that uh, analog playback, as in like vinyl, uh, I substantially noticed the difference. Uh, I mean, I know you're talking about Spotify and the diff, you know, compared to uh, iTunes, but I noticed the difference between even Flack and vinyl. And there's a different, it's a different, uh, I don't know. I, I prefer, I'll prefer vinyl all, all day over any sort of digital version, even CD.
2: So, so in, in your opinion, do you think vinyl is of a higher fidelity? Do you think it sounds better? Or like, do you just enjoy the warmth in the tone of it? Like, more specifically, like, not necessarily that it's better, but it gives a quality that you enjoy.
1: A couple things uh, definitely gives a quality, um, that's for sure. That um, I think is hard to replicate uh, outside of that. Um, and most, and to be honest, where a lot of it comes from most importantly comes from the concept of curation. When you have every single song available to you in the entire known universe in the history of all recorded music, you have nothing. When you have a collection of stuff that you've been like, no, this record and that record and this one and these choices that I've made. Right. Uh, I think that the impact of the performance is just that much higher.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I, and so
1: that's, yeah, I think that's, that's probably a part of, uh, why I think it sounds better. Do I, is that because it's just more impactful or is it because it actually sounds better? And, uh, I, I don't, I don't know, but I do know I'm, I'm definitely impacted. I, uh, uh Differently.
2: I fully I, I fully agree with that second statement um, I uh, growing up because like I am definitely like a, 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 a you know a person of the digital age like do you know what I mean when I started listening to music it was really even kind of like I barely really use CDs and I was really just onto mp3s you know and iPods and stuff like that and at that time I didn't have money and I'd get gift cards and I'd get singles and stuff like that and I'd listen to like one song you know by someone just on repeat you know because I didn't want to spend a whole money on an album and then when I got older and I got interested in vinyl from a an audio standpoint, because I learned how it worked and it fascinated me, and I started listening to vinyl, that's when I actually started listening to albums, like, by artists because it it's was... beautiful. Yeah, the, the, the experience of listening to a vinyl is much different, like, you know, because it's a physical thing, there's, you know, the artwork is, you know, also a big enjoyment for me, you know, any sort of inserts, like, one of the first records I got was a, a Star Wars, uh, the original Star Wars soundtrack, Um, and nice. it had <laughs> all the, and the guy at the shop, too, the, also the process of buying it like the guy at the shop was very nice to me and he was like he took me to this back room where he had just shelves and shelves of records that like weren't out out on the floor and he had a whole section of star wars and he's like feel free to go through all of the ones of that album and find like the best piece of every one like the best outer shell the best this insert the best that insert the best first disc and i did create the thing and he charged me same price as what was out on the floor wow it was awesome you know and it's like you know all of that little stuff and then just actually having to listen you know to it you know front to back, discovering so much more music by artists than I, you know, ever, you so know, then, would have dreamed of.
1: So then isn't that fidelity better? I
2: think so. Maybe in a, in a, in a very, you know, Constant philosophical. Vibe. Yeah. It, that is, that is a, a, it's, uh, it's a, a, a fidelity right? of life. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: But I, mean, I, I, I perceive that audio differently. Uh, and maybe that's enough. Yeah, because yeah, because
0: you know? you've bought into the full experience, right? It's it's becoming an immersive experience now, and that's the whole thing, you know. As opposed to just like put it on
1: in the background while you cook,
0: you know, like no, yeah. like wow, exactly, yeah,
1: something like boom, and it's I'm I'm listening to the the planets by you know Holst, and it's just like yes, you know, like that feels different than uh, just putting on chill mix, you know,
0: totally, one hundred percent, yeah, totally, it's a lot more intentional. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a commitment there for sure. Um, good one, Gene. I like that. Thanks. Uh, what you got, Max? You got anything for us? I don't like the doors. You don't like the doors. Don't like the doors. You know,
2: I am indifferent towards the doors. I uh, I am aware that they exist, but that's that's (laughs) about as far as it goes.
0: Okay, here's here's there's (laughs) elements of this that I do agree with because I don't think Jim Morrison was that much of a genius. Um, I think like. He was different. He was definitely creative. Um, I'm not a huge Doors fan. I would rather, like, there's a couple songs that I do really enjoy, and especially in my younger days where I would, you know, indulge in psychedelics and go on journeys um, with some of their music. Now I listen back to it, and I find a lot of it pretty underwhelming. Um, But I don't know if I... Totally. I I don't know. Boring.
1: Yeah. Out of tune. Yeah. Out of time. Yeah. Nothing's nothing's I'm not feeling anything. I don't like I mean yeah, I get it. You did the writers of the like, all right, yeah, all right, man. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. The end is but a phenomenal like, song. It's also like in five and it's kind of like an interesting, yeah. you know. Okay. That song's not bad. You're right. Um so that's but a song. That, that you know like, that's
1: like one. That's yeah, one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and there's also
1: these legends.
0: It's it's also like like we can sit here and like call out their hits and talk about you know what made an impact on society and and their importance on a cultural level i guess um but then listen to their records and tell me that you still love them because there's a lot of shit to sift through before you find those those pop gems you also know gems I mean. yeah
1: yeah 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 so I, there you have it
0: yeah so <laughs> what what gene you're indifferent i i, I definitely get that too um
2: yeah, I don't. I, I've never consciously listened to The Doors. Like there's a lot of music that exists that I know I'm aware of. But like until I actually sit down and try to listen to it, like there's like I I, I can't form a strong opinion about The Doors because like I could maybe name t- maybe two songs like you would have to play stuff for me. Like I, I just that. yeah, I just it's yeah, it's fine. I know that they're there. Yeah. <laughs> no need. you don't even need to. Yeah, explore. yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah oh, it's going to save me so much time. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Check that one off the list. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I can. There's stuff that I do like by them. I don't think I, I, I wouldn't go as so far as to say that I'm, I'm totally off the bandwagon with them. But um, yeah, I get the indifference and certainly you why you don't like them. Yeah, 100%. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. So my unpopular opinion. This week is... I'm going to go back to an older one because there's a lot of stuff that I've said that I don't think got full um, awareness that it should have, that it should have gotten. <laughs> it, <laughs> it didn't hit right. Didn't hit right. And yeah,
2: he's going to go again.
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe,
2: maybe there was a reason, but please continue. <laughs> I'm ready.
0: No, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, being a musician doesn't really entitle you to compensation. <laughs> huh? Um, Hmm. I'll let you guys sit with that um, for a second. Yeah, I need to, so,
1: I, okay. Uh, conceptually, I, I would, I, I understand the sentiment because it has so little to do with what music is about. Right. It's like completely opposite. Exactly. Of what art is about. Um, and in an ideal world, we wouldn't have to worry about compensation. I can just live in a place and I could have electricity and I could have, um, you know, uh, quality of life to a standard that I would like that doesn't cost me uh, anything. And I can just live on the earth like a wonderful living being. Uh, but uh, because we live in this remarkable, uh, <laughs> hyper capitalist society.
2: Remarkable is uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: a terrific word. <laughs> it's, I will remark on it. Uh, it, uh <laughs> oh. you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, man, pay me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so- I, I understand where you're coming from because, uh, uh, artistically it's, it's, it it shouldn't even be involved, you know. Uh, so, so it should just be
2: creative. I, I want some clarification on yeah. this because, so, I, I, you know, I guess in my opinion, is uh, being anything, just the act of being that, like being able to do it, like does not, I think, entitle you to money. But I think I, once you cross that point where you are providing a service, essentially you know, doing a sort of performance. And if it is considered of a good quality, then yes, I do think you are entitled to compensation. Okay, absolutely. Because like, I think, and, you know, I think well, once it gets into the point, like if we use capitalist terms, as soon as we start providing a service, like then
1: we are required for, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, then compensation I mean, is required. I uh, mean, the arts are essential kind of movement that happened when we were all talking about essential workers. And we all saw how we were all losing our minds without having, you know, uh, 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 art involved in our lives. You know, right. Yeah, thankfully Netflix came through and we had Spotify and stuff, but like if you remove that, you would see the the need for it, the human need for it. Right. So at that point isn't that just as much uh compensatable as healthcare or
0: uh food? Yes. So let me let me dissect this a little bit for you guys because I because,
2: like, uh, hold on, are you talking like, like, like food stamps, but for like art, like, no, no, like, no, no, no. like guys? No,
0: I'm saying food is food is uh, an
1: essential uh, uh, item to of survival, just as much as art is.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on that, and, and I, I want to dissect this a little bit because I am not, I am not the. Uh, <laughs> um the uh, idealist guy okay I I' am very much uh, a capitalist I think that we should all <laughs> I think that we should all be able to charge you know what we what we think our uh, value is based on what we're able to contribute blah 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 all that fun stuff um, what I'm saying is that as an artist um, I believe that you know before you can this this is also like, like you know nuanced and context based right so if we're talking about you know uh, a musician in the sense like if i'm playing at a bar okay for four hours three hours whatever and i'm playing covers all night then yeah i i should be able to charge money for that however if i'm creating music writing uh you know original material and going to perform it somewhere I think that you have to create a demand first before you can start demanding that people pay you. And you see this a lot at like um, you know, like we we have you know, there's you have that you have venues that, that, that do ticketed shows and you have bars that pay you guarantees for flat, you know for, for three hours of time. And then, you know, once whatever those ticketed places can start to pay you guarantees once you can command the blah blah blah, all that fun stuff, right? But all too often you see musicians coming in saying, well, I don't want to play a free show or I don't want to pl- I don't want to play for a place that's not going to guarantee me something. It's like okay, but you know, if you're writing new material, you haven't necessarily shown anybody that 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 you've created just because you've created something doesn't mean that there's a demand for it. There's a demand for art generally speaking, but not necessarily your art. So so until you can like show that that that, that you've earned a bit of the market share there um, or create a demand for 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 the product that you've created. I don't believe that you're necessarily entitled to compensation to play it. If I'm going to go and play Tom Petty at a bar for three hours, that's fine. Market tested and approved material, right there. We know it, it works. You can play it adequately. Go and get your guaranteed rate to go. You know to be a jukebox all night. Fine. Original material. I think it's the same thing as any other invention out there. You got to go out there. You got to do trade shows for free. You got to spend money. You got to show people that it's that it's worth it, and that it's and 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 create that demand for it, and then you can start to talk about compensation. I can partially
2: agree with that. I think you, yeah. I think anyone that would, especially at a lower level, that's would not play at a place because they're not getting a guarantee. I think that's just uh, ego talking kind of thing. Because I'm assuming they're getting paid something. Like, is it a you know portion of tickets? Because in that point, I think that's very fair. Like, you know, you are earning as much as you are. You know, within a proportion of what you're drawing. Yeah. So it's like that. That's reasonable. Anyone that's refusing to take that you know, and doesn't want to play, I think is, you know, overselling themselves. That's what I'm uh, saying.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not making an argument that if you sell out a show that you're not entitled to compensation. What I'm saying is that if, if you book a room right for your, for your band, uh, and then you got, you know, three other bands on the bill or something and the deal that you've worked out is some kind of like 80, 20 deal or whatever, however it works and nobody shows up. Okay, just you could be the best band in the world. If if nobody cares, then you're not entitled to be compensated for the fact that you're that, that you've been practicing in your own time. Like, I, that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think
2: that's valid, but I also think that there's a little bit of responsibility on the venue itself, whoever's doing that booking, because I think if you know who, even if it's like I want to play a show here, and then they agree yes to do it, like and then absolutely nobody shows up and the bar doesn't make any money, I think that's also a lack of effort on their part. You know, because essentially you're hiring, like if you think about it as less of like, you know, you're a contractor essentially, right? Like if you think about it in that kind of term and a contractor shows up and like they still do good work, but nobody shows up like, you know I mean? I I don't think that's, you know. Yeah, I
1: mean, I definitely think the responsibility is a lot of the responsibility ought to be on a venue and how they can get away with that is, you know, the, the community trust their curation. And so even if you don't know about this band, you're like, Oh, you know what? Rockwood's always going to have a great, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of bands coming in. I'm just going to go check it out. Right. Be there. Uh, you know, and also my, my background was so many door split gigs, you know, now we don't really do that unless we're having some sort of guarantee and stuff. But generally speaking, how I mean, so many times, you know, and you get paid a lot of different ways. You know, that's
0: what I'm so, saying. Um, yeah, totally. But I
1: will say this, and, and I and you came up with another just thought: is it now? You said you were talking about the venue's responsibility. Is it society's responsibility
0: to support creativity? I'd so yes, but but. That, not anybody's. <laughs> it, well, <laughs> the, the thing the thing is, is that you know, society has a lot of responsibilities that, that that they negate just that we negate collectively, right? Like eating healthy is a good responsibility as well. So we're not like you know, and then and yeah. the, there's there's I mean, it's so Health healthcare, you know, child,
1: whatever, yeah, everything.
0: Yeah, education, like all of it. There, there's so much that that society collectively is responsible for. I think, um, however. It's not so. So when so when society doesn't show up for what we consider to be a luxury commodity like the arts, then we can't really be super upset about that. How? But why do we consider it a luxury commodity? Um, because it's is that we, we were told that, or
1: is because we we just established a minute ago that this is as essential as housing, healthcare, food. That, well, why is this a luxury now? How come that's a luxury? I mean, that's I'm asking that not rhetorically. I'm I'm actually curious why. Myself included, we always think this way, right? Like, oh, it's this, it's this kind of like other type of. It operates separate from the needs of society, but we saw it, man. We saw it. Like, it was tangible. Yeah, we need, we needed this
0: totally. You know? so
1: I, I think, I think we need to shift the the mindset that it that it is a luxury, uh, because somehow it got conned onto us that it
0: is. Right. I mean, like, it, well, it's our I entire still, education system, right? If you think about it, like, like look at what we. Like we we cut the arts in public school instantly. education instantly, and then we and then it's it's about math and science and like, these are these are, you know, physical education which also gets cut a lot of the time too, uh, you know it's it's this this social engineering of group thinking of like well you know it's math or science choose one and that that's what you do and it's all about like producing uh, producing people that are going to think mechanically. And 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 in in very certain terms about A B C and here's input and here's output and there's little room for creativity in that in in that uh, vein and we all know that creativity inspires you know dissent and many other things which is questioning questioning all that which is contrary to what the which you know whatever call me conspiratorial the powers that be. Would like the majority of their society to be to be to be made up to, to be made up of. That being said,
1: yeah, you don't want a, a well-functioning, well-oiled machine society it doesn't want like an independent uh populace, right? You don't want like like all these people to be like, I'll do what this thing. You know, you want it to be some sort of falling in
0: line uh for better or for worse. Right. And may and maybe there there is something to be said about the about the creatives fighting that kind of that, that kind of um, dichotomy, right? Because ultimately, creation is life, and life only um, is only uh, born out of some kind of friction or struggle. So it's like maybe there's something poetic about society fighting uh, the creative mind by cutting re- by cutting cutting funding and other other resources to help prop that kind of thinking up. So if we fight that battle and can still succeed being creative then 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 that's amazing. That being said, there's a lot of people that will never be able to fully indulge their propensity to be creative because it's shut down and they're told that this is the way to go and you know who knows what kind of um contribution to society you're negating by not
1: How many like how many Beatles, how many Dylan's, how many Hendrixes, how many you know, Shostakovich's did we lose from uh, stifling their creativity and their, their progress. And I bet you it's it's in the, the tens of thousands, tens of millions.
0: Yeah, man, totally. And, you know, but maybe there's, again, there's a case to be made for scarcity and, and why we value, you know, such great art because it is, you know, harder to come by when you see it at, at those levels. But I don't know, it's all very complicated um, on that end. But, you know, as... I like as, the question. Yeah, right? It's like, so I don't know. I, I don't know. But ultimately, what I think, you know, back to the original point, I think that, you know, art, like any other commodity out there, whether it's luxury or otherwise, I still think that, you know, musicians have an entitlement problem sometimes because they think that they're good, or they've been screwed over by people in the past, or or, or they have no experience at all. They think that you know, if I'm writing music, then I'm entitled to compensation to performing it. You know, venues have rental rates for their rooms when you're when you're talking about ticketed shows and stuff. So, you know, if they're not making any money on that, then they're assuming the same risk that you are. You know, they're losing money on the bar. They're losing money on their on their room for the night because they could have potentially booked a sold-out show, you know, or at least a, a room that was halfway full with a more reputable band, but they gave you the, the night. Whatever it might be, who cares? Just the point being is that, we're all you know on the creative side of it, we're all trying to figure out how to make money here. So it's like you know you don't get just because you're a musician and you put in the work on the back end doesn't mean that you're that that's that that's that's what you get paid for. Like you still have to do the work on the front end like venues do when they're building out a venue. It's all that shit that goes into it that they're not getting you know they're spending whatever. It's, you yeah what I'm trying to say right? It's like get, absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, it's all
1: involved. It's all involved in the in the business. And so you can't just be. Only sitting in your room and writing these songs. I mean, the, 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 you might have been able to get away with that, however many decades or hundred years back. But like at this point, you know, there's so much of the of the business that's that has nothing to do with the the art. I mean, uh, there there'll be whole you know months where I I do way more computer work. Like years, way more computer work than I do uh, work on my instrument.
0: No yeah. question. Marketing, man, promo, whatever. You know, you're, you've released several records. You're working with a label, so it's a you know. this tours that you know. Yeah, all that shit, man. All that shit. It's just you know, it's all part Just of as it. important. hundred um, percent, Max. Thank you so much for being with us, man. Uh, uh, this has been it's super fun. This is a great time. Yeah, yeah, really a great conversation. Again, I'm stoked for for the for the new record and everything you got going on, man. Really keep paving the way. And um, and keeping an inspiration, I think this world needs it right now. I appreciate your contribution.
1: No, it's an honor. Um, I hope I could offer some sort of uh, something something to the world.
0: A hundred percent, man. Um, well, good luck with everything, man. And well, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Definitely. All right, man. Take have, care. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have a good one.